the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Dave Ellswick Show podcast is sponsored by the Juris Law Group. We provide estate planning for all ages, and we specialize in helping seniors get VA and Medicaid benefits for in-home, assisted living, and nursing home care. For a no-risk consultation, call us at 501-400-8250 or find us on the web at juristlawgroup.com. That's J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Can't hear a thing. Am I on there? Hello, this is Carl Kimball substituting for Dave Ellswick on the Dave Ellswick Show. And I'm delighted to be here for Dave this afternoon while he's transitioning to CPAC. And he'll be coming back to you live from that very important uh, operation in Washington, D.C. on Thursday and Friday of this week. I'm just delighted to be here. I am Carl Kimball. You may have heard me on the air before on the Dave Ellswick Show. I've known Dave for close to 20 years. He and I are longtime friends and uh, fellow libertarians, worked together on the Harry Brown campaign in 2000, worked on Acts the Food Tax and. 2001 and 2002 at that that point you had to fight against republicans to cut taxes right listen i I don't know if i told you this but (laughs) but but of all the things i tried to do when i was chairing the axe the food tax campaign the most unsuccessful idea that i came up with was going to republican county chairman and asking them to help me get signatures for for getting it on the ballot the the, the irony yeah and and all the republican county chairman and all these little counties out in rural arkansas say but how are you going to replace the money i say wait a minute did i come into the democratic (laughs) committee by mistake but anyway you came into the conservative socialist party well the other voice that you're hearing on the air with me is one familiar to dave ellswick's listeners it's one of his power panel members i'm delighted to have my fellow libertarian paul calvert on as his card says he's a radio personality landlord conversationalist second amendment advocate defender of liberty and justice and god-fearing libertarian yes, I sir you, that sounds like my kind of guy no <laughs> doubt about it that's my kind of guy so i'm going to be I'm going to be bouncing stuff off Paul, and we're going to be talking about politics and current events during the course of the afternoon. We do have uh, Joe and Duck coming in to do the car talk, as usual, from 4 to 5. But the rest of the time, we're going to be talking politics and current events. And we're going to be inviting your calls, too. Unlike Dave, I don't have a huge passel of well-known international and nationally known guests coming in. So that's just going to leave more time for you to call and tell me that, Paul and I are all full of doohickey or whatever you want to say or call up and agree with us or call up and bring up another topic yeah. you'd like to bring up, that's fine. The number here is 823-0965. Again, that's 823-0965. If you want to give the Dave Ellswick Show a call at 96.5 FM, and we're going to do some talking this afternoon. And the first thing I'd like to talk about is the father of our country. Because we all had a holiday on Monday. That's that's, a, that's Barack Obama, right? Yeah. Well, um, you know, the, a lot of people now call that President's Day. But when that was officially started by the Congress of the United States, when it was declared officially a holiday, it was Washington's birthday. Mm-hmm. 
and it's always officially been Washington's birthday. Now, just because Richard Nixon and Bill Clinton, in my opinion, two of the three worst presidents we've ever had, or at least two of the four worst presidents we've ever had, um, just because Nixon and Clinton made proclamations saying it was President's Day instead of George Washington's they birthday. wanted to cover themselves Aww, with the glory they, they, of decent American presidents <laughs> like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, and it just didn't stick. Hmm. So it's really Washington's birthday that gave us the day off for the federal holiday on hmm. Monday and caused my trash to get picked up a day late today. Hopefully it got picked up today. Uh, actually, his real birthday, you know, is tomorrow, the, oh, okay. the 22nd. But when he was born, I believe that they called the day he was born February 12th when he was born. But during his lifetime, the English-speaking world changed from the Julian calendar, named in honor of Julius Caesar and started prior to the Christian era, mm-hmm. and then the Gregorian calendar, which came into use in most of Europe couple hundred years earlier, uh, Russia didn't adopt it until I think just at the eve of World War I before the Russians started using uh, the Gregorian calendar. But most of the world now is on the Gregorian calendar. Mm. So they were a little behind. Yeah, the Americans and and other English-speaking people were a little behind most of the Europeans. But the reason, of course, they had to do that was because the the Julian calendar was a big improvement over previous calendars, but it didn't include leap years. Okay, and so and so as a result, as the decades rolled on, the seasons got more and more out of sync mm-hmm. with with the months that they were right. supposed to coincide with, and so the Pope Gregory, for whom the Gregorian calendar is named, came up with this new calendar that was three sixty five days, but with an extra day added every four years, except every hundred years they wouldn't add it. Mm. So anyway, that's so it's a little little more. Consistent more, with the, more, with the actual more, yeah, rotation. And yeah, the, well, a little more complicated, the, but the idea was that it, it kept the seasons from getting out of sync with mm-hmm. the months that they were supposed to be in. Well, that's the reason that George Washington was born on uh, February 12th, but his real birthday, according to our calendar we use today, is February 22nd. But thanks to. According to the solar. Th- yeah, and thanks to the proclamation that all federal holidays are going to be on Mondays, we celebrated it on the oh. 19th this year. But that all being said, George Washington's the reason for the holiday, not any other president. And there was a neat column by Philip Martin in the paper on uh, Tuesday. And, and you know, I, I didn't used to like Phil that much, but the more I read him lately, I, I, like I told him yesterday in an email, I said, you know, either you're getting better or I'm getting more broad-minded because I'm starting <laughs> to like your columns a lot better. And uh, he's really he's really a decent guy and very much more talented than me, so i got to give him a little respect. But uh, he wrote a column in the Demoset called A President, Not a King. And I thought that was a real apt title because George Washington, unlike any other president of the United States, George Washington had three clear opportunities to become dictator for life over this country. And he rejected it. Whether you called it king, mm-hmm. whether you called it president, uh, like you know, all those presidents in the banana republics, like mm-hmm. Cuba, where my wife's from, or mm-hmm. or Argentina, or many of those other places where mm-hmm. they have some banana dictator of the Barack mm-hmm. Obama style who just mm-hmm. rules by fiat and pretends to be the duly elected uh, mm-hmm. president of. Yeah, well, you mean these places where where they have elections and ninety nine percent of the people actually yeah, vote? Amazingly, for the guy? You know, yeah, like, yeah, like Putin yeah. gets ninety nine percent of the vote. Mm-hmm. Well. 
uh, you know, George Washington, of course, he had been the commander of the American armies during the Revolutionary War. Usually anybody who commands the armies in a victorious revolution and starts out a new country, Mm -hmm. the guy in charge of the armies ends up being the dictator, and he'll come down hard. He'll come down as the absolute ruler. Well, nowadays, you know, we kind of expect that in third world countries, not from us, but he had the absolute opportunity to be dictator at the end of the Revolutionary War. George III, the King of England, against whom we rebelled, when he heard that he had resigned his commission and gone back home to Mount Vernon, he said, if that is true, he is the greatest man in the world. (laughs) And it was true. And he was. Now, I think we have a caller on line one. Why don't you go ahead and put him through, Zach, and let's talk to someone here. Who we got on line one here? Willie, glad to hear from you, Willie. Tell us what's on your mind today. Hey, Paul. Yes, sir. You need to get those people in Conway in line, spending all that money for riding trails and tennis courts. Hey, I can't can't even vote in the Conway elections. I actually live out in the county, and so these people can— can trash all my all my tax dollars that I have to spend in Conway, and you know I'm a, I'm a landlord, so I own property in Conway, but I can't vote in the city limits of Conway. Well, that's a bummer. City elections, isn't that awful? It is. I can I can gripe and complain about them. And thank God we have a country where we're allowed to gripe and complain about them. Thanks for your call, Willie. We're glad to hear from you, and we'll invite you in uh, to call whether you're talking about the subject we're talking about or whether you'd like to start something else. We'll be glad to entertain your call as well. We were talking a little about the father of our country. Mm -hmm. Had a chance to become absolute dictator when he was commander of the army that had won the war, and the war was over, and and there was actually a conspiracy started called the Newburgh Conspiracy. Because the officers of the Continental Army had not been paid, some of them for years, mm. and they decided that they would just have a little revolution, put George in charge, and they would march on Philadelphia and kick the Congress out and take over and start making sure that, by God, they got paid what they were owed. Mm. And and George <laughs> had a meeting with them where he took out his glasses and said, said, you'll pardon me, I've become not only gray but blind in the service of my country, and proceeded to read a little written statement to him about doing the reduced. By the time it was over, they were practically in tears, and mm-hmm. the mutiny was over before it actually even began. And, and as you mentioned, he, he resigned his commission, went back to the farm, and then they called him back again to be in charge of the Constitutional Convention. And, of course, the reason they put him in charge is he's the only guy that everybody <laughs> respected from every part of the country. They would have been glad to have had him put in a form of government where he came in, took over, and, and solved mm. the problems they had and ran things. In re- and, and in retrospect, he might have been better than what Congress actually came up with. Uh, well, Who knows? well, that, that's a that's a whole and debate that, that, that subject is an in, in and of itself. Issue because some, sometimes groups of um, I, I, groups of people are dumber than individuals in some cases. Although a Amen lot of times dictators are stupid and evil people, but occasionally you do find some dictators that are. That They're, make the trains run on time. Well, may, maybe so, but but even in the, <laughs> but in the case of George Washington, if you have a man that doesn't want to rule, yeah, and, and, he, and he's actually there to serve, then that that's the kind of dictator you want because he's he's going to have yeah, he wasn't hope. there to serve himself. That's true. Right. And if you have a dictator like that, then if he's only there to to defend people's rights and, and liberties, then that's the kind of government you want. Yeah, well, you want a government that will defend your rights and liberties. Mm-hmm. And when you got one man rule, you never really right. have that. It's always at the sufferance 
of the guy in charge, and that's what what our system right. supposedly and, and, and is we don't, avoided. We we don't want. I don't want a government that rules. Oh, I, I want a government that, that protects that, our rights that, and our property. Right. I want a government that that upholds human rights. That's that's all yeah. I want government to do. Not a government rule. And and George presided over the constitutional convention that gave us a government that was designed to protect our rights. And and then when he became the first president, they all loved and adored him and respected him so much that he could have stayed in there as long as he wanted. He could have he could have been president for life. Nobody would have crossed him. Nobody even voted against him mm-hmm. in those first two elections. Wow. But he set the standard when at the end of the second term because he said that it shouldn't be a government of any single man, that it should be a government of the people, and that two terms were enough. And he set the standard. It was not part of the law of the land, but it was just a precedent that he, that he set to say two terms is enough. I'm not running again. So was, was FDR the only president that went beyond two terms? He is. Now, uh, Grant tried unsuccessfully to get a third term. He, he'd stepped down after his second consecutive term, and then later he got talked into thinking maybe he should have another one. And mm-hmm. he tried, but but the Republicans wouldn't renominate him because mm-hmm. there were other ambitious guys that wanted it. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think who else uh, had tried it for a third term. I think there may have been one other. I'm trying to remember. Uh, I know Grant tried and failed, uh, but— but FDR was the uh, only and, one who well, actually and, went. And, and oh, I take it back. The other, the other one was the other Roosevelt because Teddy Roosevelt served almost the entire second term of William McKinley and then a full term of his own. So he served over seven years consecutively. Okay. And then he stepped down as the precedent was for his successor. Mm-hmm. But he thought his successor fouled things up and didn't like the way he was running things. So he came back and tried to run for a third term in 1912 mm-hmm. and ended up starting his own party, the Bull Moose Party. Mm-hmm when the Republicans wouldn't nominate him and, and ran and managed to split the Republicans between the Republicans for Taft, the current president, mm-hmm. and the Bull Moose Party. And that helped Woodrow Wilson get mm-hmm. in and usher in the progressive era. Mm-hmm. And we could we could talk all afternoon probably about that, but we'll jump on past mm-hmm. it since we're talking about George this half hour. Yeah. And uh, let me just give you a couple things, if i got time here, that uh, Philip said that I thought were interesting. In the midst of this, he talks about his paternal mystique causing us to regard him with more awe than affection. And uh, he says, he is a figure apart, a stranded Olympian entangled in legend. Washington exists most naturally as statuary, familiar yet impenetrable. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you've been to Washington, D.C., two things that made me think of. One is down in the basement of one of the Smithsonian buildings, not out on big display, but down in a basement mm-hmm. back in a corner. They've got a statue about the size of this room almost of George Washington as Zeus, you know, naked from the waist up and, and with just kind of like a, a little loincloth around <laughs> him. And he's holding uh, a, a, like a spear or a trident in one hand. I mean, it's, it's like Washington as Zeus. Interesting. And then if you've been in the Capitol building, you know, the United States, you go in the rotunda of the Capitol, you look up at the top of the Capitol dome there and there's a – a uh, big painting on the dome that's called, it might not be the main dome, but one of the, one of the uh, side rooms off mm-hmm. that's got this huge, huge mural painted on the roof. It's called the apotheosis of George Washington. Hmm. And it's got angels and gods and famous people all in a circle there up in heaven. And George Washington kind of in the midst of them, hmm. like he's being lifted up into heaven. Interesting. He was, he was, he was thought of that way. He was idealized by, and, and, you know, I've actually heard one guy say, you know, he didn't really 
he wasn't really that good of a guy. He was just so concerned about his image. He wanted everybody to think he was a good, virtuous, patriotic guy. And so he acted like that all the time. So we'd think that of him. I said, man, well, give if you me, do it, if you do it long I, enough, it becomes I, who you are. Yeah, I said, come on, man, give me another president that really wants for us to think that he's a great guy mm-hmm. of virtue and honesty. And uh, we're coming up on a break. We'll talk a little more about this when we get back. Thank you for listening to the Dave Ellswick Show on 96.5 FM. Hey, welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. You're on with substitute host Carl Kimball and our good buddy Paul Calvert. And we've been talking about the father of our country. And in the last couple of minutes before we get to the end of this segment, let me give you a couple more things that the esteemed Philip Martin said in his column yesterday about a president, not a king. He says, among other things, he says, Washington was more than a general, more than a leader of soldiers or guerrilla genius. He was a self-constructed Ur-American, a rugged stoic with his well-documented lust for land and social standing. Well, he managed to come up with both and did it the right way. He earned them, huh? Without stealing. And then here's the, here's <laughs> how this, his column concludes. This is one of the reasons I liked it so much and, and wanted to share it with you. Before Washington... To be great was to be triumphant, to be the conqueror. A great man was ruthless, a sponge for power in an age when the prevailing political ideology held that right to rule was vested in special men selected by God. Washington walked away from the kingdom laid at his feet. Man, now and so that, his, that's an interesting issue you brought up. If you've ever read any of John Locke's works, part of I think it was the first Washington treatise, had. I'm sure. Yeah, no, I think he probably right. And so that was that was an idea of the day that the, the King of England, they, they, those people literally believed that this guy was was authorized by God to be everybody's ruler of of sorts. Not just England, all, all practically every country in Europe and most countries in the world. They believed had that in essential sort philosophy of a, and, and the so, divine right of kings. They called something it. something of that nature. And so John Locke, I think, in his first treatise mm-hmm. of civil government, I think, wrote about the the, the do, divine right of kings, and he was actually refuting that ideology, mm-hmm. which would have been kind of revolutionary during that time period. Of course, Locke was one of the most well-known writers of what we refer to as the Enlightenment, and all of our founding fathers were imbued with the ideas of the Enlightenment writers. That's one of the reasons why we got the country that we did, was because the geniuses who founded our country, and we'll come back to them later in the show, but the geniuses who founded our country were imbued with the ideas of the Enlightenment, ideas of individual liberty, and uh, also religiously of the idea that each of us has our own relationship with the deity and that it doesn't have to be regulated through a particular priesthood or ruled through a particular man. Now, we're going to break for the bottom of the hour and be back shortly to talk to you some more. Thanks for listening to the Dave Ellswick Show on 96.5 FM, The Answer. Howdy, howdy. Welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. Carl Kimball substituting in today along with our good friend Paul Calvert. And I think we had a kind of a lively and interesting first uh, half hour talking about the father of our country. And, you know, I say that he was our first libertarian president. We were talking about about how he gave us, because of his integrity and because of his dedication to a non-regal government, that he gave us a libertarian form of government in which individual liberty trumped 
the power of the state. And, and oddly, and oddly enough, state. back during that time, it would have been considered liberal. Oh yeah, the of term course. the term would have been referred. They would have called it liberal, li- well, liberal, because the, I don't think the term libertarian well, had been coined. Well, yet at no, that, that point. The, the term libertarian was coined in the early 1970s to refer to the political party that tried mm-hmm. to reestablish uh, uh, a liberal. Right. Uh, political order mm-hmm. in the sense that it was meant in the I mean, 1700s. The, now, the liberal as in the idea of liberty, yeah. not yeah. liberal well, in the and, sense and, of socialism. And, and, and the word liberal comes from the Latin word, which means free. Yeah. Liberty. And and I would have considered myself, and I, I've, I've often said I'm a, seventh, or a 16th century, I got my numbers back, 18th century, I think in the, in the time liberal. of the founding. I, I'm an 18th century liberal, and, mm-hmm. and the liberals of the 20th century, they, they essentially stole that name mm-hmm. to put on themselves because they'd previously been known as progressives, and progressives, as, as, an, as a word and as an appellation, got such a stink on it mm-hmm. that they changed it to liberal so they get away from being thought of as progressives. Well, then, of course, you know, another two generations go by and liberal starts to get a stink on it. So that's why you hear Hillary Clinton They're going referring back to progressive. To, yeah, you hear Hillary Clinton in the last campaign referring to herself as a progressive, not a liberal. Oh. It, it's just the reverse of what they did 50 years ago right. to get the stink of progressivism off. Now they're trying to get the stink of liberalism off with that. Hmm. And, and it's you know such a, a well, misnomer and misappropriation right. and of so the I, world. I don't even like to really refer to people on the left as liberal. I like to refer to status. them as, as, as socialist or yeah. sa- status perhaps but, yeah. or, 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 or whatnot in the um, – so yeah, I'll, I will sometimes refer to myself as a classical liberal. Yeah, yeah, that, and, and yeah. I think that's a perfectly and, and, legitimate... you'll, and you'll confuse both Republicans and Democrats when well, you use that term. And to someone who has an understanding of history, as useless as history may seem sometimes, to someone who has a, a, an interest in and a knowledge of history, when you say you're a classical liberal, I know what you mean. Right. The opposite right. of status. Right. A, a well grounded um politico someone who's familiar with politics on a, on a on a maybe a heavier deep, deeper level will understand a classical liberal wow well you know, uh, and that, that that's something that that's it's pretty cool now the, the folks in dave's audience have, have heard talk about libertarianism before and as on your card that i quoted from earlier mm-hmm. in, in giving some of your credentials you were listed as a small l libertarian and uh, I think that Dave and I and you all would be classified as small L libertarians now. Now, Dave and I used to be big L libertarians, mm-hmm. members of the Libertarian Party. Uh, their pretty complete lack of success and lack of being able to advance the cause of liberty the way we'd like to have seen has resulted in Dave, I think, for practical purposes. He's moved to That's being a Republican. Uh, I'm not a big L libertarian anymore, but I've never been a Republican. Those guys are way too far left for me. But uh, mm-hmm. that's often the only game in town when you want to oppose even more virulent right. strains and, of statism. Well, and to explain the, the difference between a big L libertarian and a little L libertarian, a big L libertarian meaning the, the, the party libertarian. Right. Versus the little L meaning the adjective libertarian, it's, yeah, meaning it, 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 what we used to call liberal two hundred and fifty right, years ago. Right, and so, and so I would describe myself as a liberal or a libertarian. Have a, I have a libertarian philosophy? I'm I'm not a libertarian in the sense of a, of a member of a particular party. Right. But I am a, I and, am libertarian in the sense and, of my philosophy. And, and in that regard, you remind me very much of another frequent guest of Dave's. 
a good friend of mine by the name of Tim Jacob, who refuses yes. to belong to a party or endorse individual candidates, but in the way he lives his life and what he mm-hmm. supports, he's very much a small L libertarian like yeah, us. I know now, I want you to expound a little more on this, but first, let me ask our, our callers again, or our listeners again, uh, to be welcome to call in. Our number here is 823-0965. Of course, that's 501 area code. Eight two three zero nine six five. Now, I'm going to ask Paul just in a second to expound a little more on this libertarian philosophy that he and I share. And I'd invite you to call in if you have questions for Paul or I, or if you'd like to ask more about libertarianism, or if you'd like to call us and tell us we're full of blarkey and uh, debate us about it, we'll be glad to take your call, too. So give us a call at 823-0965 if you'd like to join the conversation. I'm going to return the floor now to my friend Paul Calvert. Tell us a little more about your view of libertarianism and why it appeals to you and what it means to you. So so what I want out of government is I want government to defend and uphold human rights. Human rights are, are basically the only rights on earth that matter as far as I'm concerned from a government perspective. And that's really all I want government to do is to uphold human rights. I don't want government to come in and, and plant flowers for me. I don't want them to come in and, and give me food when I'm hungry. I want them to defend my rights. And according to Thomas Jefferson's original draft of the of the Declaration of Independence, that would include your right to property. Yes, it would. And so it's 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 a it's a right essentially to not be attacked and and to to defend yourself. And and that's the purpose of government and free society is to defend human rights, which would be one, one of the rights that's that's inherent, I believe, is is to not be stolen from it. So there's your right to property. And you'll find that in the Ten Commandments: "You shall not steal." Um, another right is to not to not be killed. You'll also find that in the Ten Commandments: "Thou shalt not kill." And so the 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 human rights consist of of basically negative things. In other words, we, we are not to be attacked. And Barack Obama criticized uh, the supposed constitutional scholar Barack Obama. He criticized our Constitution because it was negative rights, because it was things the government mm-hmm. could not do to you when he wanted a Constitution that would say the things the government has to do. Do for you. Right. And, and, that's, and that's, that's not what I want out of government. I, I don't think government should be there to do things for us, but, but rather to defend our rights. Now, there, there could be some um, instances where you have positive rights, but not from government. There would be from other individuals, perhaps from a contract basis. I think there may even be an argument to be made that that um, that children owe their parents to some to some extent. I think that you'll find that in the Ten Commandments of honor your father and mother. On, on some level, I think that's a, that's a reasonable argument. When my when I was small, when I was born, my parents took care of me for many years, and I think I'm I have a moral obligation, if nothing else, to take care of them in their old age. And um, and I think that's my duty before God at the very least. And I think there's maybe an argument to be made that. That if someone um, neglects their parents in their old age, maybe we should almost treat it like child abuse or neglecting children on some level. And that's that's not a, a very popular libertarian idea, idea, but I think it's something to consider in, in light of the fact that we use government right now to force people into paying for Social Security, which is basically a replacement for honor your father and mother. Well, just like in our welfare system, we replace the father in the home with sugar daddy Uncle <laughs> Sam, who's going to take care of mm-hmm. mom and the kids in lieu of the husband who doesn't exist or if he right. came around would cause right. a loss and, of benefits. And, and, that, and that's an interesting argument, too, because 
should government force fathers to take care of their children? That's an, you know, if, if government can force me to take care of those children through taxes, why on earth wouldn't it be okay to force fathers to take care of them? That's why there are child support laws. They may not be very well followed, yeah. but there are laws already. That, like so many things, our problem is not that we don't have laws. The problem we, is that the good laws aren't being enforced. Right, and, it's, and, it's, and the thing is, it's not just money that children need. They need actual fathers. They need love and they need examples of proper male behavior and proper female behavior right. and, and with I, all apologies I, to LGBTQ question mark community. <laughs> and, and I think some of that comes down to some of the, the super easy divorce that mm-hmm. we have going on and, and, and some of the, the tax policies and the, and the welfare policies that basically encourage single motherhood. Well, and, you know, it's been said many times in many ways that – if you want to have less of something, you tax it. If you want to have more of something, subsidize you subsidize it. it. And essentially, for the last close to fifty years, we've been we've been penalizing marriage and subsidizing bastardy. So, whereas when you and I were young, or maybe I shouldn't put us in the same category. When <laughs> I was about thirty when, years between us, you know, when I was young, it was it was maybe twenty five percent in the minority community, and maybe three to five percent in the overall population mm-hmm. that were born out of wedlock. Now it's now it's it's well over twenty five percent in the population it's about in general. Forty percent in the population in general yeah, right now. Yeah, and and well over fifty percent in some communities. Yeah. And that's not good for it's any of not. us. No, I think it's incredibly destructive to society oh, in general. It's been and one I, of the biggest I, failures <laughs> of our society in my lifetime. And and I think we're we're reaping the benefits of that in a big way. We we've got a society that that doesn't know what masculinity looks like. And, and this may come from good intentions, but highly misguided good intentions, because all these programs start as ways of, oh, we need to help people. The politicians kind of say, we need to help people. You know, it, it's the only the right thing to do. we got to help people. But in helping them, they have unforeseen well, consequences and that, and, that end up, the help ends up hurting more than it helps. Right, and, and some of that would be regulated if we didn't use government to violate people's rights. And so when I when I say that is when you use government to to take my money and give it to poor people, then you violated my rights, and in effect, you've also hurt the poor people as well. It, in many cases, true. I believe. And so so if the if these people were not, if government was not taking from taxpayers to do benevolence, then mm-hmm. then benevolence I think would be a lot better because when private private individuals um, perform benevolence. They do a lot better job of oh, vetting the yeah. recipients, I think, because the Absolutely. fact is that that if if you've got some deadbeat that's just a bum, you'll stop feeding him. But if government is start is feeding some bum with your money, why do they care? Yeah, and 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 that's what a lot of it comes down to is other people's money. People never worry as much about spending other people's money as they do about spending their own. Unfor- unfortunately, but, uh, but I think if you if we actually had some honorable men, they might actually care more about spending other people's money. But unfortunately, I'm afraid we don't have very many honorable politicians that that are that are um, concerned enough about spending other people's money. You know, when uh, uh, folks that do still read newspapers looked in the voices column a couple of weeks ago they might have seen a letter from me where i said you know i so wish that i had a president who was virtuous and still living faithfully with his first wife was absolutely committed to maintaining the highest standards of integrity whose word was his bond who 
was careful in word and in deed and everything that he did because it reflected upon the country, and that was the standard that George Washington set. But alas, he was not on the ballot. (laughs) No, unfortunately, we had Donald Trump. And Hillary Clinton. And Hillary Clinton. And there's the Hobson's choice. There's the horns of a dilemma. So I I think that that at that point, we could have gone down. Well, let me back up a little bit. You know, a lot of times, I think, during an election cycle, you could probably go down the phone book and and just randomly pick someone, and it would would be as good or better than the people on the ballot. You know what William F. Buckley said? William F. Buckley said... I would rather be ruled by the first 535 names in the Boston phone book than by Congress. <laughs> but, un- but unfortunately, I think at some point we've we've crossed over to the point where it's not just the ra- like n- not just the equivalent of random names coming out of the phone book. It may be closer to the random names on a prison roster. <laughs> oh, good one, Paul. Okay, we're coming up on a break. You're listening to 96.5 FM, The Answer. Carl Kimball, subbing for Dave Ellswick. We thank you for listening. Give us a call when you get a chance, and we'll be right back. Hey, welcome back. You're here with Carl Kimball and Paul Calvert, and we were following up on our first half-hour discussion about our founding father by talking about libertarianism, a a philosophy that uh, I felt that he exemplified and followed. Uh, I once once fooled some of my libertarian friends by asking who the second libertarian president of the United States was. (laughs) And of course, the proper answer, as you probably know, is Thomas Jefferson, Mm -hmm. because you can't count John Adams because of the Alien and Sedition Mm -hmm. Acts. But that's a whole other story. Listen to If any of you guys want to call in and add to the conversation, ask any questions or challenges on anything at all, feel free to give us a call at 823-0965. Now I want to turn over most of the rest of this segment to my buddy Paul to finish up his thoughts on libertarianism. Right, and and, and so so libertarian ideology in general is about government defending rights and not taking care of us. We we don't need government to to, um, build houses for us or to feed us when we're – hungry or to provide medical care for us when we're sick. And I think that's kind of the, the idea is that government is there to defend us and to uphold our rights, but not to provide charity services. But Paul, what if we're poor and helpless and down on our luck and sick and have no way to take well, care of ourselves? Shouldn't society take care of us? Yes, but not government. And so that, that's, that's the difference is that, that <laughs> yes, answer. You, I like you, see, that. you see, you see, if, if, I I'm, like if, I, if I'm hungry and poor and destitute, Guess what? I, I, I know have, several churches that help you out. Yeah, especially if I come and say, look, I'm willing to work. L- l- give me a lawnmower. I'll mow your grass. Or let me clean your toilets. Or and I just want it for food. You don't have to pay me eight bucks an hour. Just feed me. That, that's, that's, that's what I have a moral obligation to do if I'm hungry, not to steal from you, not to go and find a bunch of people to vote and, and, and pass a law as a group to have the government steal from you to feed me, that's not that's not a morally upright thing to do. The morally upright thing for me to do is to say, you know what, I'm hungry. This guy over here has plenty. I'm going to go ask him for work so he'll feed me. But going up and stealing um, out of his refrigerator, that's theft. That's wrong. But but the morally upright thing to do is for me to go and say, you look, I'm hungry. I need I need something to eat. And you look like you've got some got some things going in your life. Can, can you show me how to do this and feed me while I work for you? I'll clean your toilets. I'll mow your grass. I'll wash your car. But feed me because I'm hungry. And that's the honorable thing to do. That's the honorable way to, to, to deal with hungry. 
hunger. See why I say that the Republican Party's too far left for me, because <laughs> I tend to agree with you. And uh, that's interesting. Any, uh, anything else you'd like to expound upon on that philosophy? Um, well, we've well, still well, got, well, what, about two minutes well, left? And, and, that's, and a lot of times we, we kind of will, will get into the weeds about, well, what if, what if charity doesn't work? Well, what if it doesn't work? We're all going to die at some point. But do we want government to, to run charity instead of people? Government still has people in it. That's pretty much what we got now. A lot of people don't want to contribute to charities. They say, well, that's the government's job. Well, we can't compete with the government. When the government will come along and give somebody enough money and, and enough handouts to live a pretty luxurious lifestyle, why would we help them? Who was it that said a government that's big enough to give you everything you want is big, big enough to take everything you got? Who said that? I, I don't know. I've heard the that big, somewhere. But I think the government has crossed that line in a big way. Oh, yeah. And, and, and they're willing to take everything. Well, and, and this is my personal big bugaboo over the government running health insurance. Because, yeah, it would be so great if you never had to worry about doctor bills, if you never had to worry about health insurance. Oh, gosh, I wish I lived in a world where I didn't ever have to worry right. about my health care costs. But the Garden of Eden ended yeah, about 6,000 years ago. Well, or maybe more, but, or more. but that's beside the point. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing is that when the government controls all health care, that means the government decides who lives and who dies. And while our previous system where your monetary success may have had something to do with how long you, you were able to hang on, gosh, that's not near as bad as the government having control over Because if the government controls all health care, then your life or death at any given time depends on what the government's willing to right. do. And at some point, that that's a, a major factor because you could spend – a million dollars a day to keep some people alive, perhaps. But at, at what point does that become ins, uh, ins, unsustainable? Back in the 90s, I used to say that if government – back when, when Hillary was trying to put in her first Hillary care, I said, mm -hmm. I said you know, if, if she succeeds, that means if I get cirrhosis, it's going to be you know down between me and Dan Rostenkowski who gets the next liver available. <laughs> Dan's going to get it. He was a congressman at the time. Right, perhaps so. But yeah, Dan Rostenkowski's going to get that liver, and old Carl's going to be out of luck. But in a free market, you might be able to go to your neighbor and 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 buy part of his. I don't know if you can actually do that with a liver or not. No, you can with a kidney. But you could go to your neighbor and offer him fifty thousand dollars for a kidney, and he's like, "Man, I'd love to pay my house off." Well, you know. We can only hope that wiser heads prevail in the future, and our philosophy uh, comes more to the fore, because right now we're losing ground, brother. Thank you for listening to the Dave Ellswick Show as we come up to the end of this hour on the wonderful KTHG 96.5 FM, The Answer. We hope you'll be back in the next hour, because we got another hour of Paul and I talking about current events and other important things. And we look forward to taking your calls on 8230965. See you after the news. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit, commonly referred to as aid and attendance. If you are 
married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year. And we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T, lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you. Hey, man, (laughs) it's me, Dave. (laughs) Open up, I got the stuff. (laughs) What? It's me, man, it's Dave. Open up, I got the stuff. Are you trying to sell another vacuum cleaner to me? Uh, Dave's not here, man. No, no, it's me, Dave. (laughs) Open up, I got the stuff. Uh, Dave's not here, man. Sorry, Little flashback to the seventies. I guess hanging around with Paul is giving me a flashback to my own college days here. Uh, okay, all apologies to Cheech and Chong and to Dave because Dave is not here. No. But happily for those of you who tuned in to hear him, he'll be back tomorrow. Dave will be broadcasting live from CPAC Thursday and Friday. It's going to be exciting and fun, and he's going to have a bunch of famous important guests to talk to so it'll be outstanding right now though sorry you only got carl and paul it's a substitute host day carl kimball i'm an insurance agent for chanel insurance been in the insurance business 40 years been friends with dave for nearly 20 and and he was kind enough to ask me to substitute for him while he was in transit to washington for cpac and his regular panel member, Paul Calvert, whom I dearly love because he follows a philosophy I think is so right on. But it's so good to have you with us, Paul. Well, thank you very much for thank, having me. Thanks for coming on, being part of the Dave Ellswick Show, an extra time this week. Yeah. Listen to you some on Tuesday. It was great as yep. usual. And uh, here we are back. We're going to be talking to any of you that would like to call in. Our number is 823-0965. Call in. Talk about something we've talked about, something we're about to talk about, something you want to talk about, or just to call and tell us we're doing a lousy job or or maybe even a good one. But a couple of things I want to talk about in this hour as we've got time. One of them has been very much in the news lately. Uh, looking at the Democrat Gazette, I know I'm showing my age because I read newspapers instead of getting my, But here's one thing. If you read newspapers and stay off social media, the Russians won't confuse you about the next election. <laughs> and the de- they can't do John they Brummett, can't, John Brummett do, might confuse you. We'll get into that later. And they can't do data mining on you. Yeah, there you go. There you go. But I'm, I'm looking at the uh, February 16th. So this isn't the uh, the most recent, but this is our our newspaper from February 16th. And the headline was Senate derails proposals on immigration. They had a deal in hand, but I don't think they really want, at least I don't think the Democrats wanted a deal. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe because, they, maybe they want to want the issue more than they want the exactly. solution. Perhaps they want to call everybody who thinks that we ought to get some control over our borders and that we ought to have a say as Americans who gets to come in and who gets to be a citizen in our country. They don't like that because the Democratic Party being being geared towards what we were talking about earlier, they need a constant, steady stream. And, And this is partly thanks to the genius of our founders giving us such a wonderful free system that created so much prosperity that that 
prosperity is bad for the Democratic Party. They need a steady stream of uneducated, semi-literate people that are not able to take care of themselves, and can't the pub- feed their families, can't meet their own obligations. And public schools are not producing enough of those people for them. Yeah, apparently not. But uh, they need a steady stream of people that can't take care of themselves, who need government to take care of them, so they'll vote Democrat and keep them in office and maintain the socialist system that they've set up. And they want that issue. They don't want to solve the problem. They don't want to help the DACA kids. And, you know, we were supposed to feel sorry for these DACA kids. And and I think almost all of us in America, Republicans or Democrats or independents, we do. If, and if, and, I, and I, I, I understand the plight of, of the situation, sure. and, and I think there's some principle to be to be um, to, to be looked at there. You know, if if, if the government looks the, looks the other way and leaves somebody here for 20 years, is there a principle that's sort of like the um, squatters' ad, rights, right? Like adverse <laughs> possession. Is there is there something like that that applies, especially when you're talking about a child that's come over? When they're three well, years old, you know, they have though they have no um, idea really how how the the country works back in Mexico. Sure. And if a three year old or a six year old was brought here at that age by their mm-hmm. parents, it's not their fault. And nobody, I don't think anybody in America blames those kids for right. being here illegally. I, I know I don't. I don't I'm sure you no. don't. Republicans, I, I'm sure that as a great overwhelming majority of them, they don't. Mm-hmm. They don't blame the kid or want to punish the kid. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, if we make those kids legal, if they can then turn around and And sponsor their parents and legalize their parents, who are the ones that are responsible for bringing them here illegally in the first place. And that's kind of a problem, I suppose. And and so so I think there's some some interesting issues to deal with on that. And so so how do you deal with that? I I think maybe one of the the best ways to deal with some of this this DACA situation is – Figure out some way to grant them a legal status so they can stay sure. here, but don't give them citizenship. Rush Limbaugh says says he'd be willing to legalize them all tomorrow if they couldn't vote for twenty years. Well, and, th- and that that might be the solution to a lot of the immigration. Well, that issues. would defeat the whole purpose of why the Democrats well, want to legalize them in the first place, is they want to get them voting in the next election. Well, if and, they that, can. and that's a, that's kind of a problem. And maybe maybe the the immigration solution is that we we vastly open up immigration. But we don't open up citizenship. Yeah, and, 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 so, and I think there's an argument to be made for that. But you know, they were offered much more. Uh, only something like six to seven hundred thousand people had accepted Barack Obama's unconstitutional and illegal mm-hmm. offer of pseudo amnesty through mm-hmm. DACA, which was not a bill passed by the Congress of the United a, States, a and therefore not a law. It was a fiat. It was a presidential directive. It was the kind of thing that people do in banana republics. Where you know the the Joe Cadillo in charge of this banana republic mm-hmm. says this is the law. Everyone must wear their underwear on the outside. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that, the thing is, we've, we've kind of set a precedent of that for, for that sort of thing, kind of throughout the country. We, and we we call it on a local level, we call it um, um, pro, like prosecutor discretion, yeah, or officer discretion, perhaps. And so what happens is that we've got these people that are that are in charge of enforcing laws, whether they be police officers or prosecutors or Maybe attorney generals or whoever else, oh, and and so they, they have discretionary powers, mm-hmm. and so what happens is they they can choose not to enforce certain laws, and so I think they're doing the same thing on some level on the on the federal level oh, and, and have been for decades. And, and for, if I understand it correctly, that's basically what Barack Obama did was you know we're just not going to enforce this law, and and they do that all over the place throughout 
levels of government from the very local on up to the um, to the um, upper echelons. And so is it inconsistent with the with the standard practice? I don't think it necessarily is inconsistent, but I think it's it's wrong on the local level, too. So I yeah. think we need to stop the practice and figure out a way to, to, to yeah. stop this this um, legalized method of um, allowing government officials to, to pick and choose which laws they want to enforce based upon yeah. their whims. And, of course, that's gotten us into the position we're in now. But getting back to this specific legislation that we had the deal on the table, that we could have had mm-hmm. the, something. We could have had the amnesty for the dreamers. We could have had the wall built to protect our southern border. But – the thing fell apart. Well, the Republicans had given the Democrats not only three times as many, almost three times as many people being granted this amnesty as Barack Obama's system had done. Uh, Trump had offered like 1.8 million. And this includes voting rights. Yeah. And, well, and, and it, he also included uh, a path to citizenship. It wouldn't have been voting in the Not 2008 election, but it'd be a path in the 2018 election, but maybe 2028. I don't know. That, that I think was still to be negotiated, mm-hmm. but they were getting much, much more as far as taking care of these poor people who were brought here as children through no fault of their own. We were going to take care of them three times as many as the Democrats had been demanding that we take care of. And we were going to get the wall built. But the two things that caused it to fall down was ending chain migration and ending the visa lottery program. Now, the chain migration, of course, those are the two things the Democrats are absolutely determined not to get rid of. Because that chain migration, people talk about, oh, family values, family values. Well, if you value— What do Democrats care about family values? that is kind of ironic, isn't it? But, you know, if you care more about your family than you do about being an American, you can stay where your family is. If you care more about being an American and you want your family to come over here, they can apply to come the same as you do. If right. you and, can be qualified, your uncle and your cousin can face the same tests well, and, 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 and the maybe same there challenges some, to get here. And, and maybe there could be some some principles, principle modifications to that. You know, if somebody's got 80-year-old parents in another country and they want to bring them over here to take care of them in their old age, that's that's acceptable, I think. You think they're going to bring them over here and pay for them, or are they going to bring them no, over here and the need taxpayers to, They need to pay, pay for them, not, not well, see, put them on the taxpayer see, that's dime. Not, and that's, that's not what and we're that's, doing anymore. And that's, prob- that's part of the major problem with, with some of this immigration stuff is you've got people coming over here illegally, and they're, accepting, and they're getting welfare that we have to pay for. And so not only are they coming over here against the law, they're stealing from us. Or just yeah. our government's stealing I, from us and giving to them to it. And so that's, that's one of the serious problems with immigration right now is that our government steals from us and gives them free stuff. Yeah. I don't know if you knew this, Paul, but my wife is an immigrant. Mm-hmm. Actually, she was she was a refugee, actually, because uh, her dad, she came to this country at six years old, and her dad was a Havana lawyer. Oh, wow. Who's came la- from Cuba. Exactly. And her dad's last case as a Havana lawyer was defending the leaders of the Bay of Pig invasion mm-hmm. that had failed, and they were facing a summary trial and mm-hmm. execution, and nobody wow. wanted to be associated with them. And, and my, was stuck and, with and it, my huh? father-in-law was well. He he had unknown to a lot of people. He'd actually been part of it. Associate. He'd been yeah. associated not with the Bay of Pigs invasion. But he'd been associated with the underground anti-Castro mm-hmm. movement before that. Mm-hmm. And and the people that were captured leading the invasion, they were friends of his. Mm-hmm. And nobody would stand up with him in court. He said, right. he said "I'll be your lawyer. I'll stand up mm-hmm. with you in court." So then he and, he came and sought refuge. 
Yeah, and then he took his pregnant wife and four little daughters, of whom my six-year-old future bride was the oldest, mm. and took a supposed three-day vacation to Jamaica mm. where he had had arrangements made to be able to get transportation as far from Cuba as he had family to land with. Mm. And when he came here as a refugee from the Cuba dict- uh, the Castro dictatorship, he had to promise that he had family members that would assist him with living mm-hmm. and finding a job, and he wasn't going to come here and Just go on mooch. welfare. Yeah. He came here. He had to promise that he was going to have somebody to take care of until he could find work, and then he was going to find work mm-hmm. and support his family. Well, it sounds like he would, have had, he, did. he would have had an argument for asylum. Well, he, in a way, he did. He, in a way, that's what he got. Mm-hmm. But but getting asylum doesn't mean you get a free handout. Mm-hmm. Even coming seeking seeking asylum, you had to come and promise that you had somebody to you stay with a... when you got there, and that mm-hmm. you had job prospects, and that you were going to pay your own way and pay uh-huh. your own family's food, clothing, and shelter. And he did. Cool. And so, but today, it, part of the problem with the immigration issue is that the government steals from us and gives these people free handouts, including public yeah. school, which is incredibly expensive. Oh, it is. And, and and we're having a lot of problems with that because they're bringing over people that don't speak English, that don't have any uh, educational background, and they're shoving them into our schools. That's what happened with those folks in Maryland. They had some 18, 19-year-old kids. I say kids. And, and you know, they're actually young adults, they got put in a Maryland public school mm-hmm. and, and ended up raping some poor girl. Wow. And, you know, it was a travesty of the way that our uh, our situation has been working. Mm-hmm. But but uh, as far as the DACA kids, nobody blames them. Nobody wants to punish them. But it would defeat the whole purpose of our feeling sorry for them coming here but through no fault of their own if we then allowed them to legalize their parents who were the ones that caused the problem in the first yeah. place. And so, so I think that, that maybe the reasonable solution is is to to give them some sort of legal status so they're not just in the shadows because I think that putting people in the, in, the, in, the, in a legal limbo is, is kind of dangerous because they're, oh, they're afraid is. of stuff all the time. And it will tend to, to um, encourage them to do other illegal things. It may actually end up violating people's rights. And so I think g- figuring out some way to make them legal or kick them out one. But, but see, we could have had that last week. We could have had Something. all of the DACA kids, including the ones who didn't come forward and sign up for DACA. Mm-hmm. We could have had all the people that were eligible for DACA, including the two-thirds that would rather stay in the shadows than come out and give their information mm-hmm. to the government. We could have had all of those people legalized and on a pathway to citizenship so they could be future Democrat voters. <laughs> but because they couldn't bring their parents in and their cousins and their uncles and everybody that they could prove any level of consanguinity with, the Democrats said, oh, this is going to cut off our steady flow of poor people to become dependent on government and therefore Democrat voters. And the Democrats blew up the deal. It's not the evil Republicans or the evil Donald Trump or or the evil libertarians who don't belong (laughs) to any political party like you or me. Mm -hmm. We're not the ones that screwed up the DACA kids' ability to get citizenship. It was the Democrats who didn't want to stop the chain migration that's led to so many problems, including where we are on the vast numbers of illegals and including several recent terrorist attacks that took place because of that chain migration and the lottery, the visa lottery program. So is there anything else um, coming down the pike? Has, has Rand Paul come up with something that would maybe be a better solution? Is there anybody there that's... I don't see how the Democrats could get a better deal than they were offered, mm-hmm. frankly. 
And, and I don't think that, that Trump will go along with, with any less than that. But they want so bad to hang on to that chain migration, they'd rather have the, the DACA kids hung out to dry and have it as an issue to blame evil Republicans for messing with those poor DACA kids. <laughs> and, and it's the kind of stuff Democrats always do, and it's the kind of stuff that I think a lot of people have been getting sick of. We're coming up on a break, so we'll have to step aside just for a while, but we'll be back on 96.5 FM, The Answer. Call us at 823-0965 if you want to join the conversation. Good afternoon and welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Sorry Dave's not here, but Carl and Paul are. We've been talking about a lot of subjects today, but recently we've been talking about the immigration proposal that was derailed, and I think I cut Paul off while he was finishing up. we got about three minutes to go. Paul, what, finish up your thoughts on immigration. Oh, here we go. Immigration is sort of an interesting issue for me. I think it's 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 it ties in a lot of different issues, and, and – um, one of the things we were talking about earlier is, is the welfare issue. When when um, immigrants come over here and they are, they use the welfare programs, it it's a burden to taxpayers. It can be a big burden in some places. And one, one of the one of the, the big welfare programs that immigrants take advantage of a lot of times is, is public school. It, it's expensive to put kids in public school. I think in Arkansas, the average expenditure is, is maybe about eleven thousand dollars per student. Maybe a little more by that more than that by now. So that, that's a big expense when people come over illegally and they uh, in, enroll their children in public schools. But then there's other issues as well. I mean, I, I'm a, a very big proponent of free markets. And so one of the things that... Gee, they only work every time they're tried. Well, yeah, it's one, it's one of those things. It's, well, it's, unlike it's, socialism, that fails every well, I mean, time it's yeah, tried. Free markets have a tendency to make everybody wealthier, wealthier when, when they... Win-win. Um, yeah, so when, when you and I trade something, we both get wealthier. It's, it's not like you get cheated and I get... I get something off your back. No, a lot of times, generally speaking, the way it's supposed to work is we get wealthier. But so anyway, I'm a big proponent of free markets. And one of the things that, that we need to to facilitate or at least allow for free markets to work properly is for labor markets to work as well. And so labor labor is labor costs are becoming a global eco- economic issue. And so when when the United States artificially increases labor costs by minimum wage laws or by other things that like protectionism type tariffs and whatever else, then it causes major wage imbalances between country borders like Mexico and the United States. And so just a few miles apart, um, you can have a city in Mexico that maybe they're only paying a dollar an hour, whereas a few miles across the border in America, it's illegal to pay anybody less than 850 or whatever the minimum wage is right now. And so you, 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 you cause major imbalances, and you, you suck people across the border because of just, just, just simply the wage issues. That's one of the things I've never been understand, why the Democrats have always pushed this idea that you shouldn't be able to have a job that pays less than it costs to feed a family of four. You know, McDonald's jobs for minimum wages that were way, way under what you could feed a family for four on weren't ever meant to feed a family of four there to give somebody some job skills and some responsibility and and to get himself so he's worth enough to, 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 be, to able be able to, to support a family of four later on with a real job well and, and the cool thing about low-paying jobs it's it's a it's an entry in and and so so people can um can start and learn how to work and we're coming up on the half hour and i hate to cut you off when you're doing such a fantastic job 
Hey, welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. Carl Kimball here with Paul Calvert. We're just delighted to be with you this afternoon. And we do invite you to call and uh, give us a shout if you'd like. We'd be glad to hear from you. Uh, We've talked about George Washington, the father of our country. Uh, We've talked about immigration. We've talked about libertarianism. And we got some other topics coming up for the show's over and we welcome you to call us at 8230965 and put in your two cents worth ask us a question see if you can stump us on libertarian tell ideology us, tell us to get off if you want to but listen before we go on to our next topic i, I got to we mentioned my father-in-law last time i got to tell you and uh, what i think is an amusing story he told me i think you get a laugh out of first as i said my father-in-law his name was enrique hernandez miaras jr mm. and he was from havana but he had three careers. He was a Havana lawyer. Wow. And then after he ended up having to flee after the Bay of Pigs invasion, then he went to Buffalo, New York, which is where my wife grew up. He was a high school teacher in, mm-hmm. in Buffalo. Because, of course, you're, because we have a different legal system here, his law degree didn't translate, right. so the law career was over. But he, but he was an English and Spanish teacher in high school hmm. for about 18 years. And then after he retired from that, he went to New Hampshire, and he was in upstate New Hampshire uh, in a little tiny, tiny, tiny town uh, right on the banks of the uh, uh, Connecticut River. And he was the editor for a publishing company owned by a former governor of New Hampshire hmm. that published legal works in Spanish. So he kind of hmm. combined his previous careers right. as, as, a, as a language teacher and as a lawyer. Hmm. And, and to this day, if you are arrested in Puerto Rico next week, hmm. you'll be prosecuted under laws my father-in-law edited. Hmm. But, but beside the point, but the, the story I wanted to share with you is one time I was visiting him up in New Hampshire, and he says to me, he says, do you know what a Yankee is? And I said, well, I think so, but you tell me. He says, well, for, to someone from outside the United States, a Yankee's from someone in the United States. <laughs> but to someone in the United States, a Yankee's someone from north of the Mason-Dixon line. But to someone from north of the Mason-Dixon line, a Yankee's someone from New England. <laughs> but he says, totally deadpan, to someone from New England, a Yankee is someone who lives in the upper Connecticut Valley and has baked beans into apple pie for breakfast. And he swore to me he knew people like that, <laughs> which doesn't surprise me much. Oh, wow. Anyway, let's bring up another topic. Okay, our, let's go. Our folks can uh, bounce off. Uh, there's another headline that really struck me uh, as interesting. This is from earlier this week, actually on Washington's birthday observed, mm-hmm. misnamed President's <laughs> Day by Bill Clinton and Richard Nixon, among others. But the headline on the Democrat Gazette for this last Monday was, Trump places Russia blame on Democrats. Mm-hmm. Now, what goes, what goes around comes around. I, I find this just so fascinating because they've spent the last, what, close to a year and a half by now, a little over a year now, that they have been doing everything they can to hang collusion with the Russians, to try and pervert our democratic system and undermine the glorious victory of the impeccable Hillary Clinton, Mm. the most perfect candidate that ever ran for president. Because she's a female and she has a pulse. Well, so said Barack Obama, said she was the most qualified person to ever run for president. And the whole reason that, that this has been going on this last nearly year and a half now is we're supposed to believe that the evil Donald Trump and the evil Republicans conspired 
conspired with the evil Russians to undermine our democracy and overthrow the righteous candidacy of Hillary Clinton. That's kind of the narrative that we've been expected to eat. That's the dog food that's been offered to us by the Democratic Party over the last year. And and we've had all this business about the memos come out lately. Don't know how close you've been following this, Paul. But, you know, a lot of the stuff that's really been going on, it's been known for a long time. Some people have known it from the beginning. Some people just been finding it out. A lot of it has just become public domain within the last couple of weeks. Interesting. And, and the Republicans put out this memo from the intelligence, the House Intelligence Committee put out a, a memorandum that summarized some of the things that have been going on. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the Democrats said, oh, you can't do that. You'll destroy national security. You're going to undermine the nation. You know, oh, you can't do that. Well, you know. In other words, the, make people not trust the government. They, in, they, ended, up, they ended up letting it out. They ended up letting it out. It turned out there was nothing in it that was secret. There was nothing that had to be redacted. There were no national security secrets that were that were released. And then the Democrats said, oh, it's not fair that you let your memorandum out and not let our memorandum. We got a memorandum, too. Well, you know, the Republican memorandum was less than four pages. Theirs is about ten pages, which I understand is mostly invective and name-calling, but also included a good bit of actual national secrets that couldn't be released without mm-hmm. endangering security and, and perhaps the lives of certain uh, mm-hmm. Americans abroad. And so it, it's got to be redacted. And, of course, they wanted it to be redacted so that then they could say, oh, look, they cut out some parts of our memo. They didn't want people Important. to know the truth. And so we've been back and forth on this, and their, their memo has still not been released because Trump refused to redact it. He said, you go to the FBI and the CIA like the Republicans did and get them to sign off that there's nothing in it that endangers American lives or American security. And then I'll release it. We want to release it. We just don't want secrets to be let out. So, you know, we're kind of in the middle of all this process right now, Mm -hmm. but the things that came out in the Republican memo or memorandum, I think they've been calling it, uh, the the things in the Republican memorandum are things, this is the stuff that caused Nunez to go to the white house about a year ago and say, Oh, my gosh, Mr. President, look what they've done. And they said, oh, he's just a lackey. But the thing that this so-called lackey, who's, I think, I think a great patriot, uh, Devin Nunez, has brought out through this memorandum is that not only, and we already knew that the IRS had been used under the Obama administration to punish people that disagreed with them politically. But what we know now, thanks to this memorandum, that's been declassified, is we know that the Obama administration also used the FBI to cover up the crimes of his political allies and to accuse his political enemies of crimes they didn't commit. Uh, they came And up, perhaps to surveil? Exactly. Well, they used this so-called dossier, and I don't want to go into details about the dossier because far as I can tell, everything it, – it's essentially just a bunch of lies about how horrible Trump is mm. uh, that was put together by an English spy supposedly using Russian sources, although he didn't go to Russia. And we find out that this English spy, this guy Steele, uh, that's a, for, a former – English spy who's been working for this fusion GPS uh, mm. firm that's a it's, it's a Washington mudslinging think tank. Mm-hmm. I guess think tank may be the wrong word there. It's a Washington law firm that does political work. Mm. And they were hired by the Hillary campaign and the DNC. The Hillary campaign and the DNC hired 
this law firm, Fusion GPS, who, by the way, some of the top guys in the FBI that were involved in this investigation, one of them was married to a woman that worked for it. <laughs> and, and this Fusion GPS hired this British ex-spy by the name of Steele to come up with a dossier of dirt on on Trump for Hillary's campaign to use. This was paid for by Hillary and the DNC, and, and they go which, through... Which they end up using using as information to obtain a warrant. And, and they go through... Yeah, exactly. They go through this law firm and, and hire this British spy to essentially put together this dirt dossier that's mm-hmm. not got any factual basis. And it was done at the behest of and paid for by the DNC and by the Hillary campaign... And the FBI used that dossier to get warrants from the secret FISA court to be able to spy on American citizens. And and that was why you know, there, Trump said he was wiretapped. Well, yeah, there are no wires, and they don't tap on them anymore. Right. But, they they but, surveil. But, but people know exactly what he meant when he said he was wiretapped. And it turns out that Trump Tower was quote, wiretapped, unquote. That is, it was electronically surveilled by the FBI under a warrant from the secret FISA court that gave the warrant based on the information in the Steele dossier that they did not tell the court that the Steele dossier was, A, completely lies, and B, paid for by the Hillary campaign. Mm-hmm. The judge in the FISA court was not notified of that right. before it was used as a basis to get a warrant. Right. So the Trump administration, through their FBI, is listening in on members of the Trump campaign in the Trump Tower. Gee, so, sounds so kind of like Trump was not so full of it as they claimed when he said he was, quote, wiretapped, unquote. So the Obama administration was listening is what you're saying. So, so what do we do— when people put out false information and use that to obtain a warrant. I think we need to have somebody being prosecuted. Well, I I aim into that. And I I think that Rand Paul and a few others would say we need to get rid of the FISA courts. I I, I don't know. Now, my buddy Zach on the other side of the glass, because of his historical background, may know what a star chamber is. (laughs) I meant to look this this up before I came today, and I forgot to do it because I don't remember the exact dates of when it was started and how long it went on. But it went on for centuries. This is a part of English law. The star chamber chamber was because it was held in a chamber that was shaped like a star how it got the name but the star chamber was a special room in the english palace where the king would convene some of his closest advisors or should i say lackeys Mm -hmm. who who owed all of their position and all their wealth and their continued position and wealth to going along with the king and what the king wanted Mm -hmm. and the king would convene the special star chamber and he would say Lord Elderberry of Buxley has committed treason against the crown, and I think that we should sentence him to death and confiscate all of his lands to be divided among the king's friends. And the people in the star chamber would say, hmm, I think that's that's a good sounds, idea. that sounds like a good idea, your majesty. <laughs> I think we ought to do that. And then the star chamber would issue, so, and it was a completely secret proceeding. Mm-hmm. There was no, no public hearing. There and was so no accountability. It was just friends of the king in a small chamber, in a secret proceeding that decided that the life and the property of an Englishman was to be forfeit, mainly because the king wanted it so. That's what a star chamber is. And the FISA court, it looks barely different from a star chamber because in the FISA court, we have a secret proceeding 
where a secret judge gives a secret warrant to the FBI to spy on Americans. And never tell them. And and the whole basis of it is a lion dossier put together and paid for by the Hillary campaign and the DNC and using Russian sources, supposed Russian sources, through this Michael Steele spy guy or ex-spy guy that was working for Fusion GPS who happened to have people whose spouses worked for the FBI. And <laughs> and the level of corruption and entanglement, this goes further than I can, can even get into in the length of program that we've got today. But this is serious business. To me, Watergate is nothing compared to this. Iran-Contra is nothing compared to this. We could, if, we, if we had time, we could go into the comparisons, but right. I, I don't think we have time. Right. But this is serious stuff. You have Americans being condemned on the basis of secret courts and secret information. And you know what mm-hmm. is most interesting of all about this is you follow this trail that I've just described. Who's colluding with the Russians? <laughs> it, it sounds like the, the Democrats. The Democratic Perhaps. National Committee and the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Barack Obama administration colluded with the Russians in order to make a false accusation so, so, against the Trump campaign and do everything possible to destroy his presidency in its infancy, get him impeached before he'd had time to do anything, and, and God knows what they thought was going to happen right. after that. So, so what's the solution to this? Is is does this qualify as treason, since, since it is international on some level, perhaps? You know, Where does this go? Don't get me started on the Clintons and treason. Uh, I already think, oh, we got a caller? Well, let, let's see who's on the line here. Tim, come on in and join the conversation. Okay, okay, Tim, we're sorry if we went on too long. Call us back at, uh, if you can, please, 823-0965. We'll be glad to have you in on the conversation too but this is the thing is that you have had americans illegally spied on and you've had an attempt to subvert our democracy and overturn a legitimate election and it was done by democrats colluding with russians through fusion gps and and this michael Steele guy and the fbi the f freaking bi used as a tool of political punishment against people the Barack Obama administration did not like. Meantime, again, we don't have time in the rest of this program to detail the felonious uh, uh, activities of Hillary Clinton and her campaign that got swept by the same James Comey who is involved in, in – is, in, Isn't it convenient that they have officer discretion or they, they have prosecutorial discretion to choose not to prosecute? Same guy that used this lion fake Russian dossier put together by Hillary and her campaign to start the surveillance of Trump and anybody working with him swept under the rug. Obvious – you, I, Zach – Dave Ellswick, any of us would be in jail if we did what Hillary Clinton had done. If we had a computer that had been subpoenaed by the FBI and you took a hammer to it and destroyed the hard drive, if you had your minions destroy personal digital assistants to try and cover up the trail after they'd been subpoenaed by the FBI, uh, if, if, if on and on. And if we'd done any of that stuff, 
would have been doomed we're, for we're us. Not, we're, not, we're not royalty. We'd have been on bread and water sitting in a one-room cell. I'm not quite finished with this rant, but I'll, I'll try to <laughs> not keep it on too long. Call us back, Tim. Anybody else wants to join? We're going to take a short break now, and we'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. Okay, well, we're almost into this hour. We're going to wrap up what we were talking about on Russian interference. But it seems obvious to me that, that the Russians did want to create discord in our elections and and listen to this from from monday's paper it says obama was president knew of the threat and did nothing that's from our current president what they were trying to do was disrupt us when they thought that hillary was going to win they pumped up trump as soon as it looked like trump had won or was going to win man they started they started going the other way mm-hmm. they did pro trump and anti trump rallies pushed by the russians on the same day wow it wasn't that they wanted one side to win or the other they just wanted there to be disruption Mm. and chaos and for us to doubt our system and all of the time that we spent chasing this this whole phony fusion gps thing that was stirred up by hillary and abetted by the obama fbi it's accomplished the very thing that the Russians right. wanted to do, and in the meantime, disrupting our faith in our elections. And in the meantime, just a few days ago, some kid who was who the FBI knew about being a, a violent actor or a dangerous person goes up and shoots the school up. Yeah. From, from, what, I'm, from what I'm hearing is that the, the FBI knew about you, the guy. Well, you heard what Trump said. He says, well, they were too busy chasing after phony Russian collusion. And, that, and, that, and that's, that's and, what and, it seems and, like it was perhaps what happened is that – They've that, spent millions and millions of dollars well, and, and thousands and thousands of man hours chasing the story that didn't happen and that was faked by the Hillary campaign with the FBI's uh, uh, help. And they're spending all their time on that. No wonder. Right. So, and so that sort of thing happens a lot. The federal government is busy in all sorts of things that they hadn't, don't have any business being busy in. And so guess what? Our rights don't get protected. Amen, bro. Amen, bro. Man, I'm so glad you were with us today, Paul. And yes, you're sir. not done. If you can hang around, yes, we've still got another hour after the car, guys. Mm-hmm. But coming up right after the top of the hour break, which we're only seconds away from, uh, it looks like we're going to be privileged to have Joe and Duck, two of the most outstanding auto mechanics in the whole state of Arkansas, to give us a chance for you to ask them questions about your car. And we're looking forward to having them on the Dave Ellswick Show starting in just a few minutes. And this is Carl Kimball. I'm out of here for this hour, and we'll be back to see you after the top of the news, Fox. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit, commonly referred to as aid and attendance. If you are a married veteran, you can receive as much as $25,000 per year, and we offer a no-risk consultation. So call us today and get the benefits you've earned. We have a proven track record, and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit. Call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at Jurist Law Group, J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Call us at 501-400-8250 or Google me, Kimbrough Stevens, and we look forward to hearing from you.
Hey, welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. And sorry, man, Dave's not here, <laughs> but uh, Carl Kimball is. And I'm lucky enough to have a real easy hour ahead of me because we have the car guys with us. Thank you, Dave, for setting that up. Thank you, Joe and Duck, for being here. I want to start off this hour by asking my old buddy and best mechanic I know, Joe Sharp, to tell me a little bit about this bumper-to-bumper group that you're in and how you use that in order to give better service and prices to your customers. Well, it's about the parts we get, right, Duck? Yes, and about the inventory they have over on Roosevelt. Yeah, they got uh, the good a good program, a lot of parts in stock, and uh, they give us good service. And and you know the 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 name brand of parts like AC Delco, Motorcraft, Gates, Standard, Gates, Standard. Uh, it, it the list just just goes on and on. You got Bosch, you got them all. The name brands they stock them all. You got Midland. How many guys you got in your group now? Uh, well, actually, there are CSCs. There's in Arkansas. There's seventy something. Wow. Now nationwide, there's like thirty five hundred. All right. Well, as in our little radio group we got going on, there's ten of us. Yeah, ten from uh, Pine uh, Bluff all the way to Greenbrier. Oh, that covers a good stretch of Arkansas. Yeah, it does. Well, as our regular listeners know, Joe and Duck come on here on Wednesday and they answer your questions about your car, about repairs and general automotive uh, maintenance and problem issues. These are two great guys to ask. When you got a problem, we want to invite you all to call in. Our number here is 823-0965. Call us, please, at 823-0965 with any question you have about cars, trucks, diesels, sports cars, you name it. One of these two guys is going to have an answer for you. So give us a call, and they'll be glad to take your question and see if they can give you some guidance and wisdom to help out with that now uh joe yep you told me some good news today yep we're we're gonna tell a little story about carl's crossfire <laughs> he had one and he crashed it and he's got a replacement it got crashed for me oh well <laughs> got tore up it got tore up by yeah. an irresponsible little rock driver wasn't looking where she was going but uh kind of had a uh, problem with the uh hydraulic top on it when he got it, it didn't work and mm-hmm. slow on fluid we put some fluid in it and it reared its head again a couple months later. It's not working again, and it's it's got a cylinder that's leaking on it for the convertible top. Uh, had a lot of trouble finding that. Well, they had the cylinder. It's still available new. It's just $1,300. Ouch. Uh, and so we determined that, you know, the cylinder and the hose kit, we don't need that. We just need some O-rings to repair the hoses where they go into the cylinders. Problem with that is uh, they won't sell us the O-rings. They want to sell us the hose kit, and it's only five fifty. <laughs> So we were down to searching it, and we found some O-rings, and they're in route. All right. So we're going to save a bunch of money for Carl on that. And And by the time the rain stops, I'll be cruising with the wind and what little hair I got left. So instead of 500 bucks, you got some $2 O-rings? Well, if they get here, I think they're going to be about 20 bucks. Well, that's still a lot lot of savings, yeah. And the the blower on it, the blower speeds don't work. It's got a blower speed controller. It's bad, and uh, we've located the – there's not any new ones available you can still buy some of them on the internet, but they're like eight, nine hundred bucks. But we've located a uh, a used one for it. It's uh, supposed to be in really good condition. And I was thinking, you know, it might have come out of your old car, Carl. <laughs> hey, parting it out there, yeah. Buddy. Yeah, I love that Crossfire so much. I went out and, and bought got a replacement exactly like it. The problem was the one I've had for 
four months has been in the shop more than the previous one was in 11 years. So, so you should have kept it. Well, if I hadn't been wrecked, I would have, believe me. <laughs> well, listen, enough about me. It looks like we got Jim on line one. Cool. Has a question for you guys. Jim is on line one. Uh, go ahead and start us off. Jim, tell us what question you got for the car guys. Okay, thank, thank you for taking my call today. I've got a 2004 GMC 1500 work truck, and uh, whenever I let off the accelerator, I kind of have like a uh, a roaring sound. I don't know if it's like, it's, would that be like a wheel bearing, or would, could that be something in the transmission, and about how much would something like that cost to repair? What's the mileage on that, Jim? <laughs> 200000 Okay. I question, uh, if, if uh, you say when you let off the accelerator, this is an automatic, correct? Yes, sir. Okay, you let off the accelerator and you hear a rung, rung, rung noise, but when you're accelerating, you don't hear that? No, I'm starting to hear it now, too. I, I okay. just noticed it's doing it that, too. So. And it doesn't seem to change when you're rounding a corner to the left or right like a sweeping turn on the freeway or anything? Uh, no, it, uh, it seems to. At, at first it did, but now it just seems to be doing it just all the time so i think you're going to have some common problem with those is the bearings and uh, differential on it carrier yeah carrier bearings is probably pitted on it and that's what's causing it to uh make that noise okay and what does a uh, repair like that usually run well if you can bring it by we'll be happy to drive it and most of the time me or duck can drive one and tell you for sure that's what it is yeah. if it is you're looking at probably somewhere around nine hundred thousand dollars yeah i've been saying we're twenty eight and a thousand yeah Maybe maybe time to get a new truck. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. Uh, if you go price one and and you may change your mind, I'm not trying to talk you into fixing it, but uh, you'd probably pay twice that much in sales tax replacing it. So. Yeah, that's, that's true. There's that's a lot true. of different ways to look at that, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, but before you do anything, for- you need to come by and see one of us, and let's just go for a ride. Where are you located at, uh, Jim? I'm in, I live in Bryant. In Bryant, so you this, need to go see yeah. Duck. He's up in Benton. Yeah, I'm down okay. there by the by the old where the old airport used to be. Okay, all right, sounds good. Thanks for taking Thank my call. Thank you. Guys. Yes, sir. Thank okay. you. Well, I guess that explains why uh, where your shop's located is called Airlane Road, huh? Yeah, that's old Benton Airport. Yeah, of course, I could talk all day about Joe and what a fantastic shop he's got and what a great job he's done for me for years and years. But never having had a diesel, I'm, I'm not as familiar with Duck's business, although I've seen it and know it's a first-rate shop, too. Duck, tell us a little about, about your shop and what you specialize in. I work from diesel pickup to 18-wheelers. Even All I, diesels, right? Yeah, I got. I do do gas work, too. I, oh, I, I do do. I don't do many cars. I send them over to Gary Henry's or, you know, someone like that because that Gary and him does cars. I I do I, I do got customers that I have to do cars for because I work on all their other stuff. But uh, most of mine are diesel, there's gasoline pickups all the way up to eighteen wheelers. Um, you know, it, it's uh, the diesel pickup market right now. I mean, you got to stay up on it every day to keep up with what's changing. It's changing so fast. The electronics, I'm sure, have gotten a lot more sophisticated in recent years, oh, haven't they? Oh, yeah. yeah. Fuel systems. For all of us. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's even like 18-wheeler now. You know, for a long time, 18-wheelers didn't have no no computers. They didn't have nothing. And now you got all the way down to electronic logbook. <laughs> they they can't pull your leg on a logbook no more. <laughs> you know, I can take a – I can take a uh, – we'll just say, friend, I got a Peterbilt sitting in there. They're, they're in frame of the motor on right now. It's got a million eight hundred thousand miles. Whoa! I pulled it up and just curiosity. I want to see how many miles was 
you know, on it, and it had a million eight hundred and thirteen miles on it. Wow, that's how close the computer keeps up with everything. I can tell you how many gallons of diesel fuel have been burned through the truck. Wow. I can tell you how many times the key's been turned off and on. Hmm. I can tell you how many times he applied the brake. Wow. I can tell you if he fell in a curve too fast and it and it come up off the ground fifteen degrees more than it should have. Can you tell me how many beer cans he's chucked no. out the window? No, <laughs> not yet. Not yet. But, that, but you know, well, we're getting there. <laughs> but it, it's amazing what is what's there now. You know, used to everybody had paper logbook, and a and a good truck driver, he would have <laughs> at least four logbooks. Every truck driver had four logbooks, and it, it just depend on which day it was, which one they pulled out and showed the police. Huh. Well, now, uh, it everything and now is gone to electronic. And GPS trackers and everything. Yep. If they have uh, more than one driver in the truck. They yep. actually have a camera in there to see who's driving. Who's it. driving? You can't you oh, can't wow. cheat that either. It's eight hours and you're done, right, yep. Doug? Yeah. And nowadays, with these new electronic logbooks, when your time is up, the truck starts beeping at you, telling you you've got <coughs> ten miles, four miles, one mile. Click goes to idle. Wow. So hmm. you better be somewhere where you can get off. When it starts telling you to get off. You better, better get be off. hunting. Talk about Big Brother. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and speaking of that, Carl, Joe, did you see where they run a truck from New York to Los Angeles the other day with that yeah. driver? Unmanned vehicle. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Eighteen water. He he. It made it without any trouble. And it and this is coming, Carl. I mean, me and Joe yeah. and, and Dave, we've talked about this a lot. It's coming to where they're going to have outside of Little Rock, they'll have a main station, and them trucks will come in, shut themselves off. A truck driver in town will go pick the trailer up, unload it, reload it, carry it back, put it back out there, and then it, it'll talk to the satellite, and the satellite take it off. Yeah, it's like the Jetsons almost. Yep. It, huh? It's coming. And Where's it, my jet pack? You know, yeah. and, and I've, I was thinking, you know, it's going to be another 10 or 12 years, but, uh, well, this trip they made from New York to Los Angeles the other day, it, it's coming quicker than we think. Oh, that's mm-hmm. amazing. That's the first I'd heard they, that. They, I knew it was coming. I got a, I got a thing. I got a 2017 truck. And it throw the code up on the dash the other day. Really wasn't a code. It just come up telling me it was a maintenance reminder. And uh, I got a call from uh, OnStar mm. telling me, actually they sent me a text telling me that my truck was up for maintenance. Wow. Now, that, that, I'll tell you all that we stuff. Live in. Now, we got, a, we got a giveaway today too, Carl. Tell us about it, Jim. From Bumper to Bumper on uh, Levy's Tour in uh, uh, North Little Rock. Mm-hmm. It is a... Nebo work light. It's uh charged with a USB cord. Once it's charged, you can use it to charge your phone, electronics, anything that uses USB. It's got uh bright spotlight, dim spotlight. Uh you can adjust it down. It's magnetic, stick to the hood, any metal product. It's pretty cool. You can adjust the aim on it. It's 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 a forty four dollar value. So what color we want this time, Doug? Uh I got one thing we need to say, Joe, first. Okay. If you have won a prize in the last 90 days, you cannot win again for 90 days. Okay. We run into a little bit of problem with that, and I just want to make sure everybody understands that. Thus spake Zarathustra. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and the law is down. If you hadn't won a prize in the last 90 days, call. Then you can call. And, and uh, yep. which caller seven. are we going to give it to? Caller number seven? Yep. Okay. Caller number seven wins this highly uh coveted flashlight versatile tool yeah, we, that would be excellent especially for people that work on cars and we've give some of them away and they're great flashlights i mean they're yeah, they're great 
you mentioned uh, Gary Henry yes, sir. Uh, earlier. Down, he's got that mid-state transmission, transmission. model repair yes, on Sleepy Hollow down. So you send him the gas burners mostly, and you do the diesels, huh? Yeah, I, I send him. He does a little diesel too, but I send, you know, you know, if I got transmission problem, I send him over than him. Now he's a member of y'all's bumper to bumper. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, he's yes, a sir. member of our group, and uh, now, now that group is behind. The car show. No, the no, bumper no, to no. bumper people are behind the car show. No. They're sponsoring. The sponsors are down there in the right lower corner, and bumper to bumper is one of them, Carl. Yeah, it's just bumper to bumper, not the certified centers. Yeah, I see here that we have a big car show coming up. It's called the UA Pulaski Techno Car Show. Sounds high tech and exciting. <laughs> this is going to be on Saturday, March 31st, so you still got plenty of time to put it on your calendar. Be running from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Saturday, March 31st. It'll be at 13,000 I 30. Uh, where's that close? That's to you, the Pulaski John? Technical College yeah, there okay. on the side there's of the freeway line. line. Where the, now that makes sense. Where the, uh, school is right there. Yeah, they're at the county line. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a free National Hot Rod Association Appreciation Inspection Day. Uh, judging starts at 10 a.m. They're going to be trophies for first, second, and Third place in each category, best of show. First place winners will get $50 gift certificate to bumper-to-bumper stores. Best of show will get a $100 gift certificate to bumper-to-bumper stores. Worthwhile show registration can be done at www.uaptc.edu slash car show. Call us and tell us if you're interested in that, and I said it too fast to write it down, and we'll give it to you again. There's no entry fee, but a donation to the University of Arkansas-Pulaski Technical College Alumni Association is requested. Online registration runs through March 28th. On-site registration closes at 10 a.m. Sounds like a fun thing. Now, the categories they're going to have for cars and trucks are 1900 and 1920. Oh, that won't be many entries in there. There'll be a few, I promise you. I bet bet you they'll all be really interesting. 1921 Mm -hmm. to 1940, 41 to 60, 61 to 80, 81 to 2000, and then 2001 to the present. Sponsored by Bumper to Bumper, the Pulaski Tech Alumni Association, and what's my eyes aren't as good as these. What's NSRA day? Joe? That's the uh, Hot Rod Association. Gotcha. Man, that sounds like it's going to be a fun deal. Got to come up on a break. Give us a call as soon as you can at 823-0965. Register for the prize. Ask your car talk questions. We're glad to take your calls. Be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. You're on with the car guys. And, gee, it looks like we got somebody on line one already. Dave won that fantastic flashlight, and we're going to give him a chance to speak to Joe and Duck in person. Welcome, Dave. Glad that you called. Hey, Dave. Hey, hey, how y'all doing? Wonderful. Good. You gonna pick that hey, I up? Enjoy your show. Well, thank you. Just call Kathy over at uh, Bumper to Bumper Store in North Little Rock, and uh, that's it. To nine twenty nine West Thirty Third. The number is seven five three forty four ten. I gave her your number. She may call you, but. Either way, y'all can get in touch with each other, and then you can pick your light up over there. You must me, have your driver's right. license. Yeah, you got to have your driver's okay. license. And uh, me and Duck was wondering what, what kind of vehicle you drive. Well, right now I'm driving a 2010 Jeep Wrangler Rubicon. Cool. I'm out airing out my dog in the rain. <laughs> well, that's a good vehicle to have on a day like today. I'm here to tell you. <laughs> yeah, it is. I've been running through some some water. 
Yeah. Well, be careful. You can still put that in the ditch or upside down. I'm here to tell yeah. you. So yeah. be careful. Hey, I, I do have a question about this vehicle. Sure. Uh, every once in a while, the check engine light will come on and, you know, everything runs fine. But after a while, it'll just go back out. So I had not never done anything about it. Have you ever had it code tested to see what code was in there? No. You know, even though the light went out, it still stored the code in the history. Yeah, it's still there. You can check it and see what it is. Yeah. But it sounds like it, checked. Yeah, it sounds like it's got an EVAP code. What do you yeah. think, Doug? That's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. Most likely it got an EVAP. Could be a fuel cap leaking. Yeah. Could be well, a EVAP every solenoid. Every once in a while, I get a, uh, a you know, it says fuel cap on there. Yeah. And, and yeah. that'll, uh, you know, tighten it down and it'll go away. But then that check engine light might come on separately. Well, yeah. what it what it does, it it, it if it flunks the test, it's going to turn the light on. Turn the light on. After it f- passes the test enough times, it'll turn the light back off. So you can't tighten the yeah. cap and restart it and say, well, the cap fixed it. It's going to have to test the system yeah. again. So, it, it oh, okay. you know, and it depends on how far you drive it to how long it takes it to test it two or three times. Yeah. And then if it passes, it'll put the light out for you. So yeah. Where are you located yeah, that's kind at? that's what I thought. Uh, Stuttgart. Stutt- oh, okay. Uh-huh. You in Little Rock every day or? Oh, no. Oh, okay. Maybe once, every once in a while. But well, yeah, I would, I would like to bring it by if y'all, one of y'all, you know, okay. have that done. Well, we'll be happy to do it yeah. for you. I was so you can come to either place. It's hardly any difference between him or me. You know, just depending on which way you come, you'll probably come up, up 70 and across. So, you know, be easy to come to Joe. Yeah. Let him, you let him check in and then see. Yeah, All we'll right. be happy to look at it. Just, just, you can drive by and, it and you can wait on it while we do it. Yep. Okay. Oh. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks a lot for calling, Dave, and congratulations on being the big winner of today's special prize on the car, guys. And uh, we're down here to our last minute before the break. So, Joe, Duck, either one of you guys have anything that you can bring up in a minute and tell us about that you'd wanted to be sure to mention on the show today? Well, uh, today's show is the rain outside. Just need to be careful driving. And if you can't see the road, don't, don't drive across it. Just turn around, go another route. Because it ain't worth it. Good got, advice. I got one at the shop right now. They flooded this morning. Mm, yeah, back about 1992, I hydro-locked a Mitsubishi three-liter engine <laughs> on uh, Chrysler, uh, New Yorker. That uh, yep. was never the same again. I learned my lesson well, as they yep. say. All righty, my friends. So glad to have you with us today. we got another exciting half hour of the Car Talk, guys. Coming up ahead, be sure to call us at 823-0965 and let us have a question for them. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more of Duck and Joe. Thanks for listening to the Dave Ellswick Show, everybody. And welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show. You're on with Carl Kimball and... Duck and Joe doing the car guys. We're welcoming your calls at eight two three zero nine six five. I'm always fascinated when I hear you guys talk about about reading the codes. I got to. I, I had one. I don't know if you ever had anything like this, Joe. But you mentioned that they read the codes, and even if the check engine light's gone out, that they can still read that code. And thank goodness it's like that nowadays because it hadn't always been. Because I remember I had a. 80, let's see, it was an 86 Subaru, 
that the check engine light would come on, mm-hmm. but only when I was going over 55 miles an hour. And I'd come in to the dealership, and I'd say, the check engine light came off, but it went on now. It's not on now. And they say, well, you got to bring it back when the light's on, because they couldn't <laughs> read it. And, yeah. and the way that you read it in that 86 Subaru is you had to pull down the insulation underneath the steering wheel mm-hmm. and look down kind of underneath the steering wheel. Look at the LED and, light. And, and there was a little red light under there that would flash. Watch it and flash. And you, count you count three flashes and then two flashes. You go, oh, three yeah. and two. That's an oxygen sensor. Or whatever, yeah. which, I think it's what it turned out to be. But the problem was that that it didn't store that code. You had, you had to read those flashes while it was flashing, and it only flashed when the check engine light was on. And every time that I would come, and, and I'd be driving around Little Rock on sales calls, and that check engine light would come on, <laughs> and I'd drop what I was doing. I'd zoom straight to that dealership, and I'd pull in the dealership, and, and I got down under 20 miles there, and that check engine light would go off, and they'd say, well, bring it back when the light's on. Yeah. And, and so the only drive you crazy. So, so the only way I could do that because it was only on over fifty five miles an hour. So the only way I could check the code would be if I could get my head down underneath the steering wheel while I was going over fifty five miles an hour. So and that ain't cop, safe. I, and the cops I, didn't like that too I, much. I, I gotta say that the way they do the codes now is much. Oh, better. it makes it so it's much easier. You, you were, you know, the gentleman called with the Jeep Wrangler uh-huh. from Stuttgart, and I have one in the shop today. Intermittent SES light coming on and off. It's a 2014-15 Chrysler product, a Jeep. And uh, code test, it's got a code in there for for the EVAP. The light's not on right now, but the code's stored in there. It's been 900 miles since the light was last on. Hmm. You can actually, it'll tell you how many ignition cycles it was. And and when the light Mm -hmm. came on, it'll tell you how fast it was traveling, what engine RPM, uh, what... uh, range the transmission was in so you can try and go out and do a exact duplicate of that to duplicate it so you can look at the data and see what's going on that's why when me and duck say don't take this to the local parts store and let them clear the codes because they've erased stored data that we Mm -hmm. used yeah to help we need badly yeah exactly we got to have it because a lot of times you have intermittence and and the intermittent is for those conditions and that exact what you're going to go duplicate to try and get it to do it again so you can diagnose what's wrong with it so it'll save that stored information oh, yeah. for 900 miles or more it'll but if save you go it to forever the, but if you go to the wrong place and they do the wrong thing mm-hmm. and they it clear goes it. up in the air and then you don't have any information well, they say it's a evap code this particular uh, jeep that i'm working on duck it doesn't have a fuel cap nope it's got the nozzle where you just stick, stick it, it in there in the and they've had a ton of problems with them things leaking so it leaks intermittently is what's wrong with it i think they've had a recall out on a bunch they of have. those two ford i think uh Chevrolet has Chrysler, Chevrolet, everybody's having issues with it you guys have a caller on line one Good. let's go to the caller and see what a question is willie we're glad to have you back what's going on willie i just wanted to ask joe and duck something sure I won that the AC Delco sign last Saturday. Yes, sir. And uh, does this mean I can't win until another ninety days? <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, they, they, Willie, you're you're I, we're, you're a great listener and you're a fantastic caller because you keep hitting the right call, buddy. I don't know how you keep doing that, but you're very <laughs> good at it. Change it, change it from thirty days to ninety days. Yes, sir. They they wanted to move it up. Uh, to give more people more opportunity to do it. Yeah, yeah. sorry, Willie. That's radio not us. station it's, policy. It's the people that are yeah. giving the stuff away in the radio station. Yeah, so we yeah. don't have any control over that, but we do appreciate your listening. We do appreciate yeah, absolutely. your call. Have you got any car questions for Joe or Duck today? Where you been, Willie? I ain't seen you come by lately. I still got that 95 Plymouth Neon. 
Well, it's got a hundred. It's got a hundred eight thousand miles on it. I almost broke good. in. Good. Yeah. All right, come and, by and see me sometimes. Yeah, I remember back. Lately. All right, Willie. All right, bud. Appreciate I remember, you. I remember back in the mid nineties, a lot of guys bought those little neons to run an SCCA club racing. Yeah, because apparently, although they may not have been real fast, but they they had a class of slow cars for them, mm-hmm. and uh, they were fast enough to be fast in the in the relatively slow class that they were in. And, and there were a bunch of them racing for a while. Sure. So, Joe, yeah. I had a, a customer brought me a uh, Ford Expedition. <clears throat> Pull up and blow the ignition fuse. Put a fuse in it. Went and drove it. Didn't mess up. I had to Russ. I said, it's got to have a short war rub. Something's touching. So he got to mess with it. Pulled the fuse box out. Found the fuse was burning up on the backside. Mm-hmm. We just pulled it over and, you know, and put a fuse in line in it to cure the problem. Keep him buying the fuse box. And I sent my guy driving. I said, look, go drive it about 20 miles. Herk it and jerk it and go around town. Stop. Mm-hmm. Hit the brake. He went and drove it about 25 miles, come back, and he said, hey, it's it's fine. It's not messing up. So Russell went out there, checked the code to make sure the code is okay, and no code's in it. So this morning, I get in to move it out of the building. It won't hit a lick. <laughs> It'll whirl over, but it won't run. So check the fuse, fuse bloat. Okay, so Russell starts messing with it. In about 45 minutes to hour, he said, Daddy, I found it. I said, what is it? He said, Someone's put a transmission in it, and the bar's feeding. Comes, they got it pinned between the dipstick tube and the exhaust manifold. That'll do it. Oh, burnt, burnt you know, I'm wars. proud to say that's a mistake that I've never made myself. <laughs> uh, you know, we got. But there again, you know, I got you know, it, it's hard to explain to a customer, ain't it, Joe? Oh, it, hey, I got five or six hours in it hunting it, and it took five minutes to repair it. Well, I'm going to tell you on on a, on when you're when you're hunting down a problem that somebody else created, yeah, it's the nightmare. hunt is always longer than the fix. Yeah, that's it, a fact. You know. Well, let's see what kind of problem John and Benton's got. Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show, John. You're on with Duck and Joe, and they'd be glad to hear about your car problems. <laughs> hey, Duck and Joe, uh, I was just wondering if you guys have heard anything about uh, when uh, OBD three code is going to be starting to be implemented in white newer vehicles it's coming pretty quick what i've been told i think probably in the next couple of years they're probably kind of phasing in a little bit on the 18s already yeah but uh you know okay. us independents we don't get a chance to see a lot of that until they're two or three years old you know and, right. and you know, like i was listening to your your former caller and uh, when it, it, it's a pain in the butt like whenever you're dealing with Troubleshooting, like most of the time, I end up getting stuff that somebody else has already previously yeah. worked on, and <laughs> it's just horrible. Like <laughs> you're just trying to put all the pieces yeah. back together. Well, well you know, I don't know if they tested the wrong way or sure. The problem is, then you get the rest of the story at the end of there. You know, I had one here not long ago, and I chased the problem, chased the problem. Well, come to <laughs> come to find out, what I was chasing when I got the whole story didn't even come close to what I need to be working on. Now, for the sake of the layman, would you explain the problem that he was talking about? Well, when, when, when you know, there are cars and automobiles and trucks, any kind of vehicle when it's built, they have naturally occurring problems. problems. Mm-hmm. Now, when you have one that's got an electrical short or something, you're looking in the, you know, the natural places. All right, you're going to look in the fuse relay center. You're going to look here. You're going to look there. 
But when you have one that this problem the duck had was created by somebody Could previously had worked on it. Yes. So they had put a transmission in it. Yeah. And then I, I, I called the customer and I said, look, what has been done to this truck? Uh, you know, it's SUV. And he said, I said, have you had any major work done to it? And he pauses a minute. And he said, I had a transmission put in about a week and a half ago. When did this problem start? Right after that. About a week and a half ago. There you okay. go. So <laughs> it makes some time. John and Benton, you sound like you've had a little experience in that, have you? Yeah, no, I, I have. Because uh, normally the way that OD2 runs is it tells you the path of something yeah. that could be affecting the situation yep. that you're you're having. But OD3 is, from my understanding in the past, is what I read about it was going to be more specific as to the type of problem. Yeah, I think it'll narrow it down to a narrower yeah. box, but it's still going to be the technician's going to have to say, all right, I need to look in this area. Yeah. Let me start right, there. Right. But you're still, you know, you're still chasing it. Yeah. But information is key, you know, and, and a lot of folks, they don't want to, they don't think it it has anything to do with what's wrong with it, but in, and a lot of times it does. That's exactly what this customer said. What yeah. has that got to do with it? It's shifting fine. It drives mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> yeah. You know, but then when, you know, you know, and John, you know, and you know, you've seen this too before. You know, it's sometimes you got to keep talking to the customer to get the true story out, don't we, Joe? Yeah, I have called them three or four times before I finally get the whole story. As Paul it. Harvey used but to say, not, <laughs> the rest of the story. Well, not only the problem has been passed down to me through like three different people, so yeah, <laughs> it's, so like it's, it's much, it's much even harder. Yes, so it it's a lot harder to get like exactly what really. Well, started out going wrong you know the problem is you have no idea what they've done you have no idea what they've checked so you got to start it exactly you know when i get a in like that i tell them hey look this is what it's doing and i don't tell them nothing else until they start coming asking me questions well you know you just got a communication and, and sometimes the customer they they really and truly think that if they tell you a sweet story about what happened it's going to change what it costs to fix <laughs> it and it's really not is it nope. i promise you because it is what it is in our sure world. It won't you know? cost that much, man. If you just, if you just <laughs> sugarcoat going that, this you know? route, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and if you tell them the story up front, then maybe the diagnostic fees won't be as high. If we get the whole story, it helps because we'll we'll narrow down our window where we need to look at, mm-hmm. and it really it, does it, help. It can take a while. Yeah, yeah. You know, if he just said, "Hey, look, I put this transmission in there," and then I had this problem, and this started. I, the first place I went to the transmission looked at the plug on it. Yep, and the wiring going to it, yeah. and everything that's related to that. So, so did I got six or seven hours in it, and what could have been a fifteen minute diagnostic? Well, could have been an hour anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's know, one of the rare. Hour. Yeah, no, that's, that's, <clears throat> I'm just getting more excited about like with this newer stuff actually having like something that kind of narrows it down in the first place. Yeah, it, so, it's like, going to get you in the right direction. Tracks are really long. Hey, you think it's bad? You ought to see all the new bull, all the new dozers coming out. They got all. The oh, DP- I, I, haven't, I haven't messed with track equipment in a long time. Well, they got all the DPF system, and everything on them too now. Well, they all run by computer and everything now. Have you? Yeah. Have you I've know? heard that. Yeah, the new cats they're even warranted up to four hundred fifty thousand miles as long as you run the their antifreeze and the purple antifreeze. Mm-hmm. So, well. They, they have changes in everything, and, and you know uh, a lot of your your new stuff that's coming out is uh, you know on instead of running on on 
communication lines the speed is so much faster where before our scanners would sit there and wait and wait and wait for the data to come up now boy it's just it zings right in there so there's a huge improvements in that like he's talking about the obd3 and a lot of the stuff more modules are being incorporated in it and you know today's world if you push a window button to roll a window down or up that button doesn't control that window no it's telling a module what you want and the modules operate in a relay that works yeah, that that's go up and down yeah so everything's on a communication line and and when they get that narrowed down and which is what john's talking about that our our windows to where we look at are going to be a lot closer and a lot more precise of where to hunt for the yeah, problem instead at. of giving you hey this is the front of the car check there it's going to say check, <laughs> yeah, on, check on the left right, side right now i i have four control modules i have the powertrain control module i have the transmission control module i have the security control module uh I'm trying to remember what the other one was but uh oh uh uh brake control module yeah and the newer like, and then like there there's all like sorts of new computers that are communicating with one another all the time and but they're communicating in real time though yes yeah, like the faster. moment the moment that everything's working is so it's a little bit complicated whenever you have all those things working together. Yes, it is. And today's cars, they'll have 25, 30 modules on them. Oh, yeah. It's Easy. Like, dang, man. I yes. tell you, these things are so complicated. I hadn't had a car that was uncomplicated enough for me to work on since my 1969 TR6. You take a lot of these cars, <laughs> the, the, the modules, the SAMs in them, and, and when you shut them off and walk away from it, whether you got a walk-up key or a key in your hand, it's going to be 45 minutes to an hour before it goes to sleep. Yeah, well, before it shuts completely off. That's it. Wow. We're going to have to oh, take wow. one more. John, um, thanks so much for thanks calling, for calling, John. John. Yeah, and, uh, yeah thank, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for calling. We appreciate you very much, and we need to take one more break, so we got time before the top of the hour to take another call or two. You can still call us at 823-0965 and talk to the car guys. It's Carl Kimball in for Dave Ellswick on 96.5 FM, The Answer. Thanks for listening. Hey, welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show with Carl Kimball on with Joe and Duck, the car guys. And we're running short on time, so let's get right to it. Bob from North Little Rock's on the line with us. Give Joe and Duck the short version of your problem, and they'll see if they can give you some wisdom. Hey, Bob, how are you? Great. I'm fine, thanks. Thanks for taking my call. I have a uh, 2012 Hyundai Sonata 2.0 Turbo. Um, and I've been losing power. I don't. I can accelerate, but it sounds like there's a weird sound coming from the turbo fan when I accelerate. And if I'm going over about sixty, it's just there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Um, and I took it to the dealership, and they weren't able to find anything. And the guy said that he wasn't able to reproduce the problem. Um, I don't believe it because I know for sure there's something wrong. Well, do you have um, any warning lights on in there, Bob? Uh, I did have a, a check engine light, but they said it was something to do with the oil, um, and they cleared out the uh, the warning. Um, I was okay. looking online, and it said something about maybe the wastegate actuator or maybe something about the actual physical connection between the, the turbo fan and the engine. Yeah, well, I, I'm telling you, they've had some trouble with the seals leaking in those and turbos currently. and causing problems. Uh, I would say you just need to come by and, and, and let us hook up to it because you can look at that and see it's working with the scan tool and you can see what's going on. Yeah, it you look at the boost and everything. But yeah. Sounds like he's... Where do y'all... Let me ask you a question. Uh, what were your models did you say it was? It's a 2012. 12. 
you hadn't noticed it using any oil, have you? No, sir. Just so it's staying full oil? Until, until this, yeah. You can have actuator stuck or you yeah. can, you know, there's, you just need to come by somebody that can scan it and look at the information in it. Yeah, you're in North Little Rock. If you'll come by over at uh, my place, I'll be happy to do that for you, Bob. I'm at 5601 Crystal Hill Road, North Little Rock. 5601 Crystal Hill Road. Okay, yes, cool. Um, you can drive by. We'll hook a scanner up and go for a ride and see what's going on. That sounds great. What's the name of your business? Joe's I'll, uh, Garage. I'll it up. Joe's Garage. Yes, sir. And are you open on Saturdays? <laughs> no, same uh, Monday through Friday, 8 to 6. Okay. Um, then I, I may be doing that within the week. All right. All right. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Bob, we appreciate your call. It sounds like you got a sticky problem there. Uh, well, I say intermittent thing, probably. You know, uh, turbochargers really complicate engines and give them a lot of extra things well, to go wrong, don't they? Speaking of that, talk about actuator stuck. Mm-hmm. I have a DT four sixty six out there. It's a oh nine oh ten model. Same problem. Actuator stuck on it. Won't run about forty mile an hour. Won't build no build a nine so, pounds. So he's of boost. not getting the boost, right? That's yeah, it. Won't That's build a nine pounds of boost and. Yeah. And if it don't build boost, if it don't get the boost signal there, the computer will not turn the injectors up. And end up, if it don't turn the injector up, you don't get no diesel fuel out of them. If you don't get no diesel fuel out of them, you ain't going nowhere. So you don't have yourself a powerful turbocharged nope. vehicle. You got yourself a nope. little putty putt that can barely get its four cylinders yep. going. Huh? Well, it. we're down to our last minute with Joe and Duck. Have you guys got anything else we hadn't talked about today you'd like to bring before Dave's audience? We just want to thank Bumper to Bumper for putting this show on for us and Absolutely. just taking care of us and and you know just they're good people Thank yeah you, and b&m oil they they yep. do a great job Havilland, chevron Havilland motor oil we uh, we enjoy their products and and we sell them both of us and we enjoy them and i'm very grateful to be a customer and grateful for the fantastic job that i get when i go by joe's garage if i had a diesel i'd go to duck but Man, I don't like Duck said. I don't need those problems because I don't, don't need to haul anything. You don't right need either. a diesel. Don't own one. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for taking care of me, guys. Thanks for being on the Dave Ellswick show. It's been a lot of fun as it always is, and yes, yeah, we'll look forward. I won't be here, but I'm looking forward to you guys being back next week and answering more car car questions. Thank you. Thanks for being on with me. Thanks for putting up with a rank amateur. It's been fantastic. Right, you're fine, Good fun. Girl. We'll be back uh, after the top of the hour. Paul and I still got some more crotchety ramblings that we'd like to get off our chest (laughs) between now and 6 o'clock, but we're grateful to have the car, guys. Thanks for being with us. You're listening to the Dave Ellswick Show on 96.5 FM, The Answer. Listen up, veterans. If you're a senior wartime veteran or a surviving spouse of a wartime veteran, you may be entitled to an improved pension benefit from the VA. This benefit is designed to help pay for the cost of assisted living and in-home care. As we get older, we may need the assistance of others, and this VA benefit is designed to help pay for that. Call me. I'm Kimbrough Stevens. In my law firm, the Juris Law Group specializes in helping folks get this much-needed benefit, commonly referred to as aid and attendance. If you are married veteran you can receive as much as $25,000 per year and we offer a no risk consultation so call us today and get the benefits you've earned we have a proven track record and we know how to qualify veterans for this benefit call us at 501-400-8250 or look us up online at jurist law group j-u-r-i-s-t lawgroup.com call us at 501-400-8250 or google me kimbro stevens and we look forward to hearing from you 
Hey, welcome back to the Dave Ellswick Show on 96.5 FM, The Answer. You're on with Dave, substitute host for today only, Dave. We'll be back tomorrow from CPAC in Washington. But this is Carl Kimball substituting today. One more hour to go. Fortunately joined by my friend and fellow libertarian voice of reason and conscience, Paul Calvert. Thanks for being here, Paul. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Ah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, we hit a lot of heavy stuff. This next half hour, let's let's talk about something just a little lighter. Okay. And, and we may get back to grousing about some other stuff sure. before the hour's over. But but here's here's something else that Phil Martin had lately in the paper that I thought was kind of interesting because I identified with it. He talks about college being wasted on the young. And, and just to give you a couple pull quotes, he goes. I got no one to blame but myself for squandering the opportunity. I flat out gamed the system. I said, hey, man, that was one of my greatest accomplishments, coming with a good GPA out of undergraduate work after all those hours of partying and chasing women <laughs> and, and, and having the best time of my entire life up to that time so far and still got a college degree. Woo-hoo. Boy, when it comes to gaming the system, I think that, you know, Mm. It's good to be a champ at something, perhaps. <laughs> and you know, he also says here, he says, like a lot of teenagers, I didn't have a handle on the way the world works. My priorities weren't academic. Well, I said, well, you know, it sounds like the story of a lot of people's lives. Well, here. the thing is, though, that you, you, <clears throat> you have kids that are in an artificial environment, i.e. government schools for the most part, some sort of a, huh. an a, educational institution. And they stay in an institutionalized setting until they're, what, 22, 23, 24? And they get in the real world, and they discover that, well, this isn't the real world. I got to tell you, Paul, the real world was a cold bucket of water right in the face for old Carl. No doubt about it. I was, was working on my master's degree in medieval German history at the University of Colorado back in 1974 when i just got sick and tired of being poor and starving and i mean i was poor and starving and with little prospects of a job once i got a master's and a phd it was during the ford recession i tell people that i learned the three great lessons of history during the ford recession in the mid-70s one is that nobody learns the lessons of history anyway sad (laughs) but true Two is that in economic hard times, nobody pays you jack to know about medieval history. (laughs) Sad for old Carl, but true. (laughs) And the third thing I learned was that in economic hard times, people still buy insurance. (laughs) Well, it didn't make me rich, but it did keep me from starving. So that's why I've been in the insurance business for the last 40 plus years here. Well, so so anyway, how, how did you get into the insurance business? Did you, I, I did you am, have a friend that kind of no, encouraged I, you? Or? I, 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 was, I was sitting at home one night after finishing my bowl of Campbell's soup for supper and in my little 10 by 17 room that I paid, I was making about 50 bucks a week and I paid 100 bucks a month for a 10 by 17 room that Studio. shared. That, no, it was a, just a little room that was tacked on to the back door of an old house, and I shared the bathroom and kitchen with an ever-changing number of hippies. This was in oh. Boulder, Colorado. So there was never you know an end to the number of hippies that needed a place to stay. And I was staying for a while there while mm-hmm. I was, was struggling through life, and I saw an ad that said, great opportunities for college graduates. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, good, my degree wasn't totally useless after all. <laughs> But, but, you know, I think that all of us who got college degrees who are really honest, I, I see my buddy Zach in the other room nodding. I think he's going to agree with this. All of us who got 
official creditations. All of us have got official degrees, unless we got them in something extremely practical and specific. Most of us would have to admit, and even a lot of us that got practical degrees, I think, would have to admit that we really didn't get the education that helped us to make a living until after we were out of school and struggling with real-life problems in the real world. You you learn as you're actually doing the actual work. And I think think that's that's true with a lot of, maybe almost every degree out there, is that the degree makes it legal for you to get the job in so many cases because the government says, you know, we're going to put you in jail if you don't have a degree so that you can get the license. (laughs) And so the the, um, the the degree doesn't necessarily do you a whole lot of good, except that it keeps you out of jail and it makes it legal for you well, to get, get the job in the uh, first place. I wouldn't have got my first insurance job, which was a terrible job, and I hardly made any money at and nearly starved on that too. But that was step one in getting a real-life education. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have got that job if I didn't have a college degree. But my college degree had zippo to do with anything that I did. And even today, you know— um, It was a foot in the door. Well, you know, even today in the job I've got now— the reason the reason that it helps me now is I can read and I can write. And, boy, being able to read and write goes a long ways in a lot mm-hmm. of jobs, especially if you got one that's real paperwork intensive, like, mm-hmm. like being an insurance agent. You know, being able to read and write is awful important. Right. And I did have a lot of experience at reading and writing. <laughs> yeah. but, but nobody's asked me lately what the significance of 1066 was. So oh. I guess that probably my medieval history degree was more for my, my own pleasure and edification oh. than any practical purposes. And uh, that may be partly – and old, old uh, Phil here in his column – this ran on a Sunday. You know, he's talking about how he was never going to retire. And that, how, though, if he did end up with time on his hands, he might go back and actually learn something in college the next time. <laughs> now that he was at a point in life to take it seriously. Well, well and, that's, and that's one of those things. That a lot of times, you have kids that don't really know what they want to do for a living, and and they've been thrust into this college thing, and they don't even know what they want to do. And and but they they know that they've got to get a college degree because society has been telling them that you're not going to make anything of yourself. I've known people whose kids have gone for a college degree, and then they've, they've changed their major again and again and again and gone for years and then mm-hmm. dropped out for a while and then gone back again. Mm-hmm. And, and one guy's son ended up going off to Chef's College, you know, and spent God knows how much on Chef's College for the kid. And then he changed his mind and decided he didn't right. want to do that, wanted to do something else. And, and it's great as long as you can live in your parents' basement and, and your parents and pay the tuition the- and you don't have to face real life. It's just like being a college right. student. But then know? there's kids who didn't have that that opportunity like that but they still went to college and they went into debt and now they have huge college loans oh i feel so sorry for the people that that end up leaving college with an enormous debt it's Uh, like it's like a home mortgage in some cases yeah yeah and if any any, if any of our listeners want to call in and chime in with their own experiences or comment on that feel free to give us a call we're here for the next 45 minutes on the dave ellswick show it's eight two three zero nine six five if you'd like to call into the answer and join the conversation. It's not like you can sell your college degree and and cash it in or anything. Well, you know, I I felt obligated to give my son a college education and no debt. He went to Lyon College Mm -hmm. in Batesville, wonderful little school. And, uh, you know, counting room and board, it was like 17 grand a year to go there. And he got a little bit of a a scholarship. Yeah, it's a private college. used to be Arkansas College. Uh, A gentleman uh, named Max Lyon, who was the RCA dealer in the Little Rock area, made a huge donation to him. They renamed the school after. Oh, wow. This is some 30 years ago, I think, approximately. Mm -hmm. 
But uh, I felt like I was obligated to give him a college education mm-hmm. with no debt because my dad gave it to me. And my dad, who was a pretty smart and college-educated guy himself, he used to say, son, you better make the best of the education because that's all I'm going to leave you is an education. <laughs> so you better get it and make the best of it. Yeah. And uh, But my dad, he paid less than $1,000 a year for just back in the 60s and early right. 70s. It was less than $1,000 mm-hmm. a year. I went to the, I, I, the equivalent of right, uh, the equivalent of UALR where mm-hmm. I lived. And you, you got a, got a caller on line one. Let's, let's, take a, let's take a call from Tom in Little Rock, see what he's got to say about all this. Tom, welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. We're glad to have well, you. Well, I'm glad to be here. You are on a topic that is absolutely critical for us to get our minds wrapped around for the country. Um, there was where I come from an experience in what you're talking about. We put together a class for college freshmen, and in it, the student had to research the career they said they wanted to go into. And then we said to them, imagine now 10 years from now you've been successful, you've done everything you said you were going to do, how much are you going to be making? And we did that based on the median income. And then we said, make a budget based on that, using today's data. And then we would say, make this complete budget and then come back tomorrow and uh, tell me where you're going to live and what kind of car you're going to drive and all that sort of thing. And they would come back and they would say, I can't live on this. And we'd say, well, okay. (laughs) The, The issue is this. You have certain intrinsic desires and you have certain lifestyle expectations. You've got to learn to balance those. Amen. And you can you can do that, but this is a course that ought to be offered, in fact, required at every college level because nobody leaves college knowing how to buy a house, buy a car, have a career that's going to meet their lifestyle expectations, and then yet leave them feeling fulfilled because of their intrinsic desires. It's so hard. Everybody says, yeah, that's great. We're trying to get colleges to adopt that. Golly, that's hard. Tom, really good point. Yeah, I I mean, some people come out of college, they don't know how to balance a checkbook. Uh, Absolutely. Practical applications for life. Uh, Are you a college teacher, Tom? Yes, before I retired, I was. Were you a teacher in the central Arkansas area? Yes, I was. Do you think that most of the kids that that went through school, I'm just going to assume that you taught your class brilliantly and every student that went through your class left it enriched and with lots of good knowledge in the subject you taught. But looking at the college experience as a whole, do you think that most of the college students graduated with with a, a sufficient amount of education to be able to go out into the world and start or will they still need remedial help? Well, the problem was that you have a lot of students going to college that need remedial help to begin with. Yeah. The way they – you were talking about the debt. Let me tell you an absolute truth. This is crazy. I knew students who had been to college for several years, still did not have a certificate, still did not have an associate degree, and owed $50,000. That just boggles my mind. One school had 1,200 students one year that they had to notify that, oh, by the way, you're about to exhaust the amount of money that you can borrow for your bachelor's degree. They oh. didn't have a certificate. Fifty grand. It's a sin. They would have been better off if they had never been to college Oh, that's, that's money washed down the toilet. Without a doubt. So a lot of people go to college. They're ill-prepared. And that's, you know, <laughs> I could get off on uh, – public education very easily on that. But trying to find the platform to get out what we all know, I mean, everybody listening to your program would say, yeah, that's exactly right. But trying to find the platform to get that implemented 
it's just too much bureaucracy. It's so hard. But that's what we got to do. People have got to know how to make a living for themselves and for their family. And sometimes I think that we might be better off if we left high school and went out and worked a while and put some money aside and, and got some real life experience before trying to go to college. Well, the the non traditional student always does better because they have had some hard knocks and they realize, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, life is serious. Mm-hmm. And, and because they're student, usually paying their own bills, they got an Oh, ab- absolutely. That that's so true. But this is something we can solve. Uh, well, not completely, but we can sure make a dent in this problem simply by accepting the principles that we just talked about on the radio program. And I really appreciate you allowing it. Maybe somebody will hear this that's got some pull, and they'll say, I heard this idiot on the radio station the other day. I want to do this here. Well, we need to do it. And I think the exercise you put your students through was, was pretty useful to actually help oh, them absolutely. understand that, you know, okay, after I get this degree and I'm fifty or $75,000 in debt, um, how much money am I going to be making and what kind of a lifestyle can I afford? And, and what's my debt service? And would I be better off to, to go out and work in the oil field um, right now and make a better living than what I can make with a college degree in four years? Where does, well, what is the, absolutely. And so people making the kind of decisions, you know, there's there's some jobs that are just not much demand for, but there's also some jobs that there's lots of demand for. And doesn't require a college degree, and you can make lots of money for it right now. We're with, always right going to need plumbers and electricians. I mean, I mean, I was, I, oh, I didn't yes. go to college. Well, I think, I think I was about twenty years old the first time I made a hundred, broke a hundred thousand dollars in a year. And wow! But it wasn't because I was just super extra smart. Perhaps maybe I was a little more. I don't know. <laughs> but but I worked like a dog. Yeah, I, that, that I, always I, makes you smarter. <laughs> I, I put my back into it, and I worked like a dog. Doing actually, actually, it was a lot of manual labor. I mean, there's some smarts to it as well, but but I worked like a dog, and I, and I broke a hundred thousand dollars. I think I was twenty twenty years old the first first year I did that, but but I worked hard, and it wasn't because I was doing something that was just I was it wasn't rocket science. I wasn't going to the moon. I wasn't climbing um, cell towers. Although I did a little window cleaning from hanging from a rope. But but I, I I did stuff that was kind of dangerous sometimes. I hung Christmas lights for crying out loud and made a hundred bucks an hour doing that. Wow! I, I got I got fast, but I worked hard and I made good money. But I didn't have a college degree, but I did have parents that cared about me, and that that helps. I, my parents stayed married until my father died about a year ago. That's a big help, I think, and a lot of kids don't have that advantage. But but I think that the the thing is that we tell kids that that they can't make anything of themselves they can't make a decent living unless they go to college and then they go to college and they get 50 60 70 thousand dollars in debt and they still don't have a job and they've got basically a mortgage that that they can't sell sell okay we're coming up on a break tom that was a great call thank you so much for calling we really appreciate it i think you made a good contribution to the show today and hope you'll keep listening and mark i know you're holding we got to have a short break please don't hang up mark we'll be coming to you as soon as the break's over and Hello, everybody. You're on the Dave Ellswick Show with Carl Kimball and Paul Calvert. And we have Mark on the line from North Little Rock. And Mark, I apologize. We got so wound up and excited in the last segment. We ran a little long. And I've got about three minutes for you. Can you ask your question or make your point? Yes, sir. I'll make it real quick. I'm thankful that y'all are talking about this subject when it comes to education and debt and things like that. The example I want to give is I want to brag on my brother-in-law. Um, Twenty 
1994 is when my sister and my brother-in-law got married. And the year before that, in 1993, he started working in the oil business. Did not graduate from high school, got his GED, started off as a roughneck. And he's been in that business now for 23 years. He is now a boss on his own rig, working for a major company in the, in the North American um, drilling business. And his rig is in Pennsylvania. And he makes more money than I do with a four-year degree from Mississippi State. And I don't begrudge him one bit. We are both debt-free. My sister has never had to work, and she's homeschooled both of her um, daughters, and her first daughter is going to go to college right now without having to pay for it a lick. And my brother-in-law is more successful than many people who have gone to school and put themselves in debt. Now, you can do it either way. Like I said, I went to school, and I had my degree, but my parents taught me to live below my means, and thankfully for both of us, the Lord has kept some major things like tragedies out of our life. And I know that's not the truth for everyone, that they might have some things that happen and that, that occurs. But, I mean, my brother-in-law is a perfect example that he worked his tail off and was very and is very successful now and does not have a college degree. Excellent call, Mark. Thank you so much. Your, your brother-in-law sounds like a great American to me, and I'm glad that he found a path that worked for him to be successful and help out his family and yours. Anything else you want to add in the last few seconds we got? Yes, we lost Mark. Thank you for calling, Mark. We really appreciate your having you on the show today. Uh, I think this is an important and a worthwhile topic. And, uh, you know, we're going to come back. we got about two minutes for the break. And this has obviously been a topic that's touched a number of people. So we'll stick with it. If there's anybody else that would like to call in and add their comments or their experiences on uh, college education, it's value to today's youth. We'd be glad to hear from you. You can call the Dave Ellswick Show at 501-823-0965, We'll be breaking in about a minute. And if you call during the break, that's a good time to get to the front of the line when we come back after the bottom of the hour news. Paul, in the last few seconds we got for the break, got anything else you'd like to add on the subject? Well, I think it really is an important issue because people spend so much time and in, money and and money on on education and and on a on a matter that's important. I mean, how we make a living that's a big deal because we spend an awful lot of our lives making a living and and it and it's it's important to th- talk about these things. And um, Zach's telling us we have how long? We're on the last about, about a minute. Okay, we're on the so, last minute. And so so we've got it's it's a it's a serious issue we've got kids that are graduating from college and they've got many tens of thousands of dollars in debt and that's a crime and and now they're trying to start a family and they've got these college loans that are and one of the worst things is the reason these college loans are so huge is because colleges charge such outrageously enormous costs and even when they've got the the money in the bank to be able to offer nearly a free education to their full complement every time like Harvard's sitting on millions and millions mm. and and yet they still charge these outrageous fees for a college education so practically no normal human being can earn enough money to be able to afford one unless you got a superb job and so we'll talk a little bit more after we get back from the rake about college educations and the things that we're going to do you're listening to the Dave Ellswick show on 96.5 yes <laughs> Gentle listener, you are listening to the Dave Ellswick Show, even though Dave's not here. But you are having Carl Kimball and Paul Calvert. We're talking about the value of a college education and some aspects about college educations here in uh, 
our wonderful United States of America in the present day. Uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, we've had a couple of really, really good calls uh, during this hour on this subject. If you'd like to call and give us your take, we're welcoming you to call at 823-0965-501-823-0965. Be glad to hear from you. Uh, you know, Paul, one of the things that that troubles me greatly about college educations for our current crop, uh, even leaving aside the difficulty of learning to cope with the real world while you're going through the ivory tower. Mm-hmm. And, and, and believe me, when you talked about when you were 20, you were working your ass off and making huge money. At that time, I was living in the ivory tower and trying to figure out how I could stay in the ivory tower the rest of my life and mm-hmm. not have to get out. Failed again. <laughs> but that's okay. It came out for the best in the end. But one thing that, that didn't really get on my radar then, because I was a typical young, dumb kid who, who didn't really have that real-world experience yet. But now I, I look and I see so many of our kids are coming out of college, and, and they've had all these professors that they push socialism. Right. They push anti-Americanism. Right. They, they've been immersed in socialism they, they, since they were about five years old in well, many see, cases. And, and this, is, this is, to me, an enormous, enormous problem in our country today because so many of our college graduates are coming out thinking that socialism is a wonderful idea. Now, when I was young, if you said you were for socialism, people would think that you were some kind of a kook. Mm-hmm. Socialism was the enemy it, to Americanism. It, it seems to be the norm in many college, colleges well, was, and universities uh, now. Socialism, Marxism, communism, all the different isms that come out of Karl Marx's foolish and failed philosophy, they, they're all failures everywhere they've been tried, and, and they're the antithesis of what our country was founded on. We talked a couple hours ago about those products of the Enlightenment, our founding fathers, and what they did to give us a country that didn't have a king. The idea of individual liberty. Thank you. That's exactly the phrase I was grabbing for, was individual liberty. All of our prosperity, all of our freedom is based on individual liberty. It was what our founding fathers cherished the most and gave us uh, a constitution and a country that was designed to protect individual liberty. Did it do it imperfectly for most of our history? Darn sure. right. But we've improved on that, and we're working towards doing even better. Right. But but socialism is the opposite of what gave us our prosperity, our freedom, and, and the uh, success that the United States has had. Now we have up to half of our college graduates coming out thinking that socialism would be just a mighty fine idea. If only someone smart like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or whoever the— Marxist right. du jour and, 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 is. and so what ends up happening is is that that socialism is basically a form of slavery it and, is. and we need to recognize it as such and the thing it is, is, is. That, that some people you trade will, your freedom right, for security. some people would be better off as slaves mm. and i'm and i'm willing for those people to volunteer <laughs> but, you just but, don't want to but, volunteer yourself right and that, that's the thing is that i don't want them to volunteer me for it yeah that, and that's the problem i have with them if, if they want to come and volunteer to be my servant, and I can make these decisions for them, we'll talk about that. And we can maybe set up a contract where they can be my slave, and I can tell them where to work, when to get up in the morning, and whatnot. But in the meantime, I don't want them voting to take away my rights and basically make me a serf of the government. Because that's what socialism essentially is. It's taking people's rights away and basically making them um, comply with your personal ideology about benevolence and about... um, charity work and whatnot else but 
do we want government to engage in that sort of behavior, or do we want that to be an individual um, um, That's decision? That's a profound question. And the thing is, unfortunately, <clears throat> in so many cases, we've decided that, you know what, we, we don't want to have individual liberties. We don't want to be able to make our own decisions about who we wish to be benevolent toward or who we want to, to give charity to. To and so we've we've delegated that we haven't delegated because we never had the power to do it in the first place. We have given that to the government, and 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 we've forced it upon our neighbors. Well, I, well said, and uh, this is a serious problem. Um, and, and the universities and colleges, I think, are, are they're they're brainwashing children and uh, and um, young adults, if you will. And and we can see a lot of the result of that in the 2016 sure. election cycle. Like I think I said. Uh, on Dave's show once before, uh, in my opinion, and this is only my opinion, but in my opinion, every vote cast for Bernie Sanders was a condemnation of the American educational system. I, I think you're probably right. And what's what's interesting is you've got you've got parents that are pretty conservative people, and their kids they go it, off it, to be brainwashed. Yes, they, they they put their children in in the public schools, and then they go to the universities, and then these parents are surprised when their kids grow up and they vote for somebody like Bernie Sanders or Barack Obama, and and these parents are pretty conservative people. They would they they would be be pretty decent thinking people, but their kids end up so different because they've been set in these institutions that teach socialism and yeah. and humanist immoral garbage. Yeah, yeah I, I couldn't agree with you more, and, and I think that's an uh, adequate way to put it, at least. Uh, you know, one of our one of our columnists in the, the local paper here, John Brummett, well-known leftist, uh, he, had, he had one Tuesday that we had a little email exchange over called Russian Dressing on the Side, mm-hmm. and, and, and it was just typical garbage from Brummett where he's talking about how, how if you're a Trump supporter, you're obviously a betting. You're not necessarily, you know— or a Russian, you're a dupe of the Russians or an ally of the Russians if you're not actually working with them, if you're, if you're a supporter of Trump or the re- Republicans. Re- remind us whose philosophy is closer <laughs> yeah. to the Russians. Yeah, that's the ironic the, thing. The, the Republicans or the Democrats. But, but one, one thing I told Brummett in, in my email response to his thing, I said, I said, look, my people who believe in freedom and liberty in the Constitution are not forcing your people in the crowded decaying cities of the east and west coast to follow our lifestyle. There are no Republicans or conservatives I know who are going out to liberals and saying, you got to live like a conservative and the government's going to make you do it if you don't go along with it by God. But it is the other way around where the people that are representatives of these decaying and failed uh, Democrat cultures in the cities, whether it's Baltimore New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, and yet they want to use the government's gun to force us to give up our principles and give up our lifestyle well, and, uh, and be forced into what they want and, us to And that do. sort of thing right there is one of the problems with people who believe in liberty is that that those who actually want to, to, um, to subjugate us to their socialist ideologies, many of those people, they have a strong desire to be government. They need part of the government. They, they, have, they have a strong desire to rule, I think. Guaranteed where, benefits where, for life and impossible well, to fire. But whereas the problem with a lot of us who actually believe in liberty and justice, we don't want to rule over our neighbors. And so it's hard to get people like us yeah. to run for office. Yeah, because I have no desire to run other people's I, lives. I don't want to run your life. I feel what? like I'm doing a damn good job compared to what I sometimes have done in the past if I can run my own life. Well, and, and that's the I'll thing. I'll settle is that, for that, running mine. We want, to, we want to run our own lives and just be left alone. There was a there was a fellow, his name is um, 
Joel Salatin. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's he's written some books. He's done some stuff about kind of natural farming and whatnot. And um, one of the books, I think it was titled, Everything I Want to Do is Illegal. (laughs) But it wasn't because he was wanting to sell drugs or or, or engage in prostitution or anything like that. He he was wanting to to just make a decent, honest living. And I think in some of the cases, he was just wanting to, like, sell produce from his own farm or livestock or, or, or food from his own farm in cases and it was illegal because the government, somebody, some bureaucrat, some some um, crony capitalist system made it illegal for him to make a living in these different areas. And I find that in so many different oh, areas. But don't think it can't get worse. Well, of course it, it can it, get worse. You know why so many people in Britain voted for Brexit? It had gotten to the point where bureaucrats, unelected bureaucrats in Brussels – we're telling English farmers not only the size that their potatoes and tomatoes and other produce had to be, but the shape. If if you had a potato that you grew and it didn't conform to the proper shape of a tomato, according to the bureaucrats in Brussels, you couldn't sell it. Well, and, 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 and so that's, that sort of garbage is what yeah. we're seeing all over the place. Oddly enough, you know, America is supposed to be the land of opportunity and freedom and justice. I'm sorry. The U.K. has actually surpassed us. From from an economic liberty standpoint, now, well, that's sad. You know, the English the, the English have had a lot of setbacks in personal liberty uh, in the last fifty, sixty years, maybe longer. But but uh, I've often said, and, and, and this is not to make excuses for all the terrible things the British have done. And I already talked about the Star Chamber this afternoon, so obviously I know that they've done some bad things and mm-hmm. done some things wrong. Uh, but like all countries there there are two sides to it and and because of our cultural heritage and our economic and political heritage i've I've often said that while while we have wonderful wonderful cuisines and other things we've gotten from other cultures when it comes to our basic political structure and the basic structure of, of american political and social life what we've got in this country that is good and wholesome and worthwhile and prosperous and successful in america is stuff we got from britain Mm -hmm. And stuff in most cases, I've said most of the time, I said, and we have more of it left than they do. Mm. Now, that may not be as much the case as yeah. it used and, to be. And this is, I think, maybe based on one of those um, those economic liberty studies by mm-hmm. you know, maybe Heritage or Cato. And I, they're, putting, they're putting the U.K., England, higher on the economic liberty scale than the U.S., isn't it? And we're not even close to, yeah. to, to, I, I, to Hong not, Kong anymore. It may not be as much because they've risen as that we've plummeted. No, I think that's right, is that, that we've got we, – you've got to have an occupational license for cutting hair, for crying out loud. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean – and, 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 and there's very little you can do for a living right. that the government doesn't want to license. Like like Chris Plant says uh, about liberals, everything that they want to do, they want to make mandatory, and everything they don't make mandatory, they want to prohibit. Well, and unfortunately, a lot of so-called conservatives are, are right on their heels. They, they want a lot of this uh, occupational licensing and a lot of other um, permitting process. You want to tell people how they can build their houses and it's not about safety in many cases because it's ugly and I don't want you to do that near, near my house. How is that anybody's – how does that violate your rights anyway? But it's it's one of those things that so many people, including conservatives, will will um, will, will try to impose their personal philosophies on, on other people by by, um, by telling them, you know, you, you've got to build your house in a, in a way that, that doesn't make the neighborhood look, look ugly. Well, you know, and, we, we do need government. And we need government to help and protect us. But uh, I have always fallen in the camp 
of my second favorite president, Thomas Jefferson, who said that government is best, which governs least. In so many cases, if the government is small, it doesn't affect us as much and it's not as big a deal. But right now, when government is so massive, then lobbyists are powerful. Yeah, and, and how lobbying much, works. How much of the money that we pay for things that we buy is going to the company hiring lobbyists to go to Washington, right. either to try and get the government to use its heavy hand to oppress their uh, their, competition, their competition, or to protect them against their competition using the heavy hand of government, right. or give them and, give them handouts, and, give and, them subsidies, and I've heard Dave welfare. before on this on this air talk about crony capitalism. Mm-hmm. And that's what that that's what that is. A lot of it is, and and the thing is, these these lobby this lobbying wouldn't be so powerful if government government wasn't so big and powerful. Well, well, you know, but one thing that's even more maddening to me than these than the corporate lobbyists is government funded lobbyists. I go down oh. I go down to the Capitol, and and I I I um I advocate for gun rights. The state police will actively lobby. With your tax money. With my tax money against my right to keep and bear arms. Hey. They actively do it. And then you have the Municipal League, from what I understand. They're, they're a, they're a oh, state-funded they're, fun, they're they're the Municipal League pardon lobbying me, organization. The Municipal League is one of the greatest enemies of human freedom in the state of Arkansas. And so, and so for, from what I understand, that's a tax-funded yep, organization sure as well. And so we, sure we've enough. got these taxpayer-funded lobbying groups. Mm-hmm. Using that, that, our money to lobby against our, our rights. Right. That, that is just maddening. And then we even just have... Agency heads that will come in and, and lobby against um, um, a certain legislation or for legislation. Now, I can understand them being there for the purpose of maybe answering questions from a factual basis, but for them to actually be there to lobby, to lobby, to, to actually wrong. advocate for or against something because it's their preference. So we need to we need to grow government or we can't we can't shrink government here because we'll have to fire some people hmm. for crying out loud. Well, you know, it's only been. 37 years since I moved back to my hometown of Little Rock. And uh, once a few years ago, I was up in one of those fancy restaurants. I was invited as part of something I belonged to. I was up in one of those fancy restaurants on the top of one of the bank buildings Mm -hmm. downtown. And I was looking down at all these buildings down there. And I was saying, gee, I remember that when I first moved here, that was a business. And that was a business. And that was a business. And now that's, that's a building full of state bureaucrats. That's a building full of county bureaucrats. That's a building fear of city bureaucrats. Mm-hmm. And just the whole downtown Little Rock is just building after building after building yeah, of, of people offices. that are paid out of our tax money in order to figure out ways yeah. to, in many cases, yeah, suppress well, was it one of the one of the complaints, one of the um, – in, in the Declaration of Independence, we'd have, we'd have armies of bureaucrats. And I don't think, I don't oh, think it was man. bureaucrats was the word. It was another word in the Declaration of Independence. Got to take one more break before we hit the top of the hour. So I'm going to turn it back over to our engineer to bring us our last commercial break. And Paul and I will be back to wrap it all up here in just a few minutes. Thanks for being with us on 96.5. It's Carl Kimball back with you. I have enjoyed so much substituting for Dave Ellswick today while he was in transit to CPAC, where he'll be coming back to you live tomorrow on his show from Washington, D.C. And gosh, I want to thank my friend Paul Calvert for being on with me. I think this has been a very lively session. It's been fun. Thanks for for inviting me. Oh, man, absolutely. We both had a lot of things we wanted to say about liberty, individual freedom. And uh, the ways our government could perhaps oppress us a little less, yeah, and, that, and that's and that's and that's what we want for, from government. We don't we don't want them to oppress our neighbors. We don't want government to exist for the purpose of enriching ourselves. I want government to exist for the purpose 
of protecting human rights. Okay, before we go, I think I got just about enough time to give you Carl's theory of the development of government. Let me tell you why government started. What's man really want? Man wants a beer, right? (laughs) Okay, how do you get a beer? You can't have a beer unless you have grain to ferment. How do you get grain? you got to give up the hunter-gatherer lifestyle and settle down in one place where you can grow it. And then what happens? You're growing your grain, and now you're stuck in one place where vagabonds and, and, and ne'er-do-wells can come by and steal it from you. So you got to either hire people or get people from your group to be able to protect your grain against enemies. So you get the beginnings of government, the beginnings of policing and military. You get all of the beginnings of civilization all arise out of man's desire for a beer. So there you go, my friends. The reason that all this oppression is on us, if only we hadn't wanted a beer as bad as we did, we might not be in this mess today. We'd still be swinging through the trees, eating nuts and berries, and women wouldn't have as much control over our lives either. But that's Mm. another story for which I don't want to get in too much trouble. Beer and women, huh? (laughs) The downfall (laughs) of us all. So what can you add to that, my friend? Oh, I don't know. There's an interesting philosophy of uh, explanation of of a libertarian philosophy about government. That's where it comes from. Well, the fact is you really can't make beer unless you settle down for a few days at least. And then you need government. And then you get Well, there it is. We just got to make the best we can with it. Paul and I love liberty. We love this country, but we want to have as much personal freedom as we can. We want a government. We need a government to protect our lives, our liberty, and our property, but we don't want it telling us what to do and running our lives. We're both a lot like Dave in that regard, I think, and that's probably why you're listening to the Dave Ellswick Show, and we're grateful to have you on with us. We hope that you'll come back again be sure to be here to listen to Dave from CPAC. He's going to have a great show with lots of famous, important people, unlike today when you just had a couple of pontificators <laughs> who gave you our side of it. But we hope you enjoyed a little bit of it, and we hope to be back on the radio again before long. And we'll be listening to Dave tomorrow just like you. Thanks so much for being part of the Dave Ellswick Show today. Thanks to our callers. Thanks to Joe and Duck. Thanks especially to Paul, and thanks to our wonderful producer, Zach. Wouldn't have been so smooth and fun without you Appreciate you, brother. Thanks, 96.5 FM, for letting me come on as a substitute host today. Love you all, Little Rock. Look forward to the next time. The Dave Ellswick Show podcast is sponsored by the Juris Law Group. We provide estate planning for all ages, and we specialize in helping seniors get VA and Medicaid benefits for in-home, assisted living, and nursing home care. For a no-risk consultation, call us at 501-400-8250 or find us on the web at juristlawgroup.com. That's J-U-R-I-S-T lawgroup.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.